A word to the wise. We are an explicit podcast tackling content with adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. This week we are reading through chapter four of Branderson, <laughs> Branderson's, Brandon Sanderson's Bands of Mourning, the third edition, third, third installment in era two. You know the drill. Let's get going with this. We are Words and Whiskey, a podcast for veteran and novice readers like we tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking. You should think of us as your intoxicating weekly book club. I have said Branderson so often that trying to say Brandon Sanderson just results in me saying Branderson, apparently. PJ, it is so funny because not only do you say Branderson so often, but I literally put it in our submittance for a thing that we'll talk about in a second here but yeah because i was like we have to i'm, I'm calling it out i'm gonna put it in there it's a, it's a funny note for approval so you know as it goes mm-hmm. so did that get commented <clears throat> upon i'm genuinely curious no, no 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 we got no details back there by no details we had no notes back there was like nothing no commentary on the on the description or anything it was just like thumbs up and then some details that we got for timing and stuff like that so Cool. With that, today is our first episode discussing Bands of Mourning by Brandon Sanderson, and we are going to chat about the prologue through Chapter 5. But before we do that, and before we talk, sorry, Chapter 4, through Chapter 4, before we do that, and before we talk about what we're drinking, PJ, where are we going on November, oh my god, what is it, 14th and 15th? Yeah, 14th and 15th. Big old lake made of salt. I have no idea what Salt Lake City's like, but uh, I assume it's just just a big pile of salt that we get to swim in. <laughs> salt Lake is really pretty. I've I have actually been there a couple of times, but Salt Lake is a very very pretty area. But yes, we are going to the Great Salt Lake City for Dragon Steel Convention 2022. Not only that, not only are we going, but we have been graced with a spot to present and to talk at Dragon Seal 2022. So we are going to actually be recording a live show, a live wrap up that's going to be a ton of fun. So, yeah, I'm super excited. This is going to be a blast. This is I'm so nervous. (laughs) You have no idea. I am so very nervous about this. It, it does change something that has previously been relegated to like friend conversation that we can always go back and edit into public speaking, which is a very different foray of sorts. Yeah. Did um, that pile onto your nerves? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Had you thought about that? <laughs> was yeah. That, was that on your mind? Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so not only like we're pretty open about it. We do some editing for the show. I don't think we'll be drinking at the event. So nope. Like there, there's no, no big deal there, but when we have to like sit and think about something once in a while, we'll sit and like, just be silent for several seconds. It's a a minute of just like paging through a book, looking through stuff. And we completely cut that out. So I'm hoping it's natural enough that like people enjoy it. We've done a few live events here, which makes me feel better about this. 
I have never been comfortable anytime I've spoken into a microphone where I can hear like in a, a loud room myself echoing and that's going to add some differences to this. It's going to be a, it's going to be a wild time, but I'm so very excited for it. Yeah, meanwhile, I literally spoke at our graduation it's and true. are very comfortable on microphones and on stages or not I wouldn't say very comfortable. I've done it before. I I would argue. I do I do agree with you. It's not something I hadn't thought about the microphone thing because that is definitely one of the most nerve-wracking things is hearing yourself talk back whenever you talk. It's just it's another thing to experience and to get over. So, yeah. Like I've got yeah. the monitor on in my microphone, but like that's not the same. <laughs> but with that said, we'll be at Dragon Steel this year. It's going to be very exciting. We are speaking in Yolin on Tuesday at 11. So if you're attending the event, feel free to come. They do have a limited number of seats. I It's somewhere between the range. This is a crazy range, and I, I know, but it's somewhere between a range of 50 to 250 people So of, of spots. So make sure that you add the event and come. The room has more capacity than that. We don't need to have any limit on it. They just didn't make it clear when we were submitting what the, what the limit thing meant or like ticket events or whatever. So not worried about it, but something to consider other than that i'm just stoked so let's let's talk about this here uh, here book uh huh but before we do that let's talk about uh what we're uh, what we're drinking huh okay we could do that okay i can start go ahead um yeah today for dinner i made pineapple fried rice and it was oh, very, it's more food good. than i had on saturday <laughs> yeah yeah it was but with that i made a pineapple daiquiri which was mm. very, very good. And because I made a pineapple daiquiri. Wait, with the rice? With the pineapple You made the rice? pineapple daiquiri with the rice? Yeah. Like you put the rice in the daiquiri? No, 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 no. But I, <laughs> I drank the daiquiri <laughs> while I ate the rice. You know what's up. So because we already had that cocktail together, I came into this deciding I'm just going to do a beer. And by a beer, I mean a very large beer. So I opened up a 2015 Surly Darkness which is commonly re- regarded as kind of the crown jewel of darkness years. I think it's, unfortunately, I think it's like a year or two past its prime. Mm. It's thinning out a little bit. The raisin notes that you, and chocolate notes that you usually get off of it have really fallen off. It's, it's pretty flat in flavor, if that makes sense. Mm. Not a lot of lingering complexities to it, but it's still a very well-made beer. It's one of the last ones that Todd Hogg, really personally had a lot of interactions with before he moved on and left Surly. Won't get into the politics of that right now, but he went on and joined three Floyds after that. But yeah, this, this beer was my first foray into Russian Imperial stouts and it's, it's hard to beat like this at its prime is one of the best beers I've ever had in my life. Yeah, that's I was going to say that as well as like we we experienced a lot of this mostly at the same time. I got a couple of sips of darkness earlier because my dad had gotten some over the years. But this was, you know, this was the beer. This was the darkness from the year that we turned 21 as well. So that also has some significance to it. So there's, you know, some extra like little notes there. And it was amazing. And like 14 was really good. I remember that we went to a bar and we got a 14, 15 and 16 bore the next year. Mm-hmm. And I think we still landed on the 15 being the best, but 
14 was pretty good too and 16 wasn't bad but it wasn't near the the perfection so i guess what that means kids is that if you have them drink them <laughs> yeah don't let them go if you're one of those this one went seven years yeah so yeah that's usually kind of the max on what you want to age things for this one probably could have done with a year or two less it's too bad you can't corve in a beer you know there's some that you corve could. in the thing the oh yeah fair if they actually cork sours for the most part yeah um, obviously like lambics and mm-hmm. yeah belgians yeah cool i am jealous a that you're even that you're drinking it even if it doesn't taste the way that it does like just even the idea that you can compare that beer, that sort of legendary craft beer experience to like what it was, even if it is inferior, it's still kind of one of those things where it's like kind of reminiscing about something in a very nostalgic and fun way. It also still uh, has one of my favorite bottle arts. Mm-hmm. So Darkness, yeah. Surly every year gets a local Minnesota artist to do the artwork for Darkness. And this one was... And they, they feature a different monster because they release it on Halloween every year. So coming up soon will be the 2022 edition. But this one's the bat. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. It is super cool. So I'm jealous. I made a fucking tiki drink. I don't know. Dude, this is more tiki bullshit because I had pineapple juice still from the last episode. So I was like, okay, let's go with a different tiki bullshit drink. So this ended up being two ounces of Jamaican, one ounce white rum ounce of lemon juice a two ounces of pineapple juice or sorry two and a half ounces of pineapple juice and then an ounce of dry curacao plus three dashes of mango and done so yeah good really i mean there's likely i mean what you would probably add that to that to make it a real cocktail is some form of sugar however the pineapple juice that i had was so sweet last time that i was like i think i'm not gonna fuck with it or Maybe it was some combination of things that I was like, I just, I'm going to let it be because last one got a little, little sweet with bitter. So yeah, this is, this is really good. It's a little sour because of that lemon. So like a little bit of orjo would be perfect in here. However, I do not have any orjo. So well, my back half beer is tea because I drank too much this weekend. So I'm not having more than a cocktail. Fuck everything. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. That's uh, that's how I feel. Okay, so PJ, before we talk about the chapters, how did you feel about this week's reading and this f- first book in the series as as it is? Second book in the series? I meant first chunk of this book <laughs> in the series. <laughs> I totally fucked it up. That's definitely my bad. I've I'm I'm enjoying it. You mentioned something to me that I had forgotten about, and I think we did talk about last book beginning in last book that this book was technically written before shadows of self and going into it, understanding that you do kind of get little nuggets of, of that knowledge. But for the most part, this is just clean. This entire section feels like an introduction. Like it feels like a full part prologue, but I am not upset about that. There's payoffs for side characters from the previous book that are very clearly becoming more important here. And it picks up where it left off really, really well from shadows of self. So, yeah, I I think it does a go ahead. Sorry. I just said happy, happy. Okay. I think 
I really like this intro. And again, it's this whole part one is kind of like prologue to the book. It feels like we're getting in motion more or less and we're spending a couple of chapters to do so, which is okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I do want to, at the very least, comment. We can talk about this when we talk about the prologue a little bit more. But I do think that this is my least favorite of the prologues themselves, not of the whole part prologue, not of like the whole first chunks. But I didn't love it. And then I also... I like I like the next four chapters well enough. I don't know that I would need to rank them or compare them. I think they do different things for the stories because they're telling different stories. But what we can get into the specifics there. Overall, I, I think that this book to me has the weakest start so far. Do you think that perception would have changed having not known that this was written before Shadows of Self? Because this I don't is think what, so, this, I, this prologue is where a lot of those connections happen between to, to me I I don't think that that happened because I didn't know that until I was okay. until later. So like when I originally read it, I stand by this, the opinion that I have of era two that we'll get in when we're done with everything so far, because I have been like, my brain has been right beat for beat on everything that I remembered feeling, which is good. It's reaffirming that like some things recontextualize some characters, some moments and some things got better. Almost nothing got worse. But I think like I pretty much was right on my my own feelings towards the book and didn't really change in the subsequent reads too much. Not to say not to color any kind of opinion. There's no real opinion there outside of the fact that, no, I'm pretty sure I still feel like that regardless of the additional context. Sort of out of context bonus. So, yeah, let's get into the breakdown here. Talking about this one and opening up with the prologue, this prologue is kind of a bummer compared to the other two i mean the other two are like quick cut action sequences and this kind of feels like something and this is crazy because this should be my favorite type of thing right but this almost feels like something pulled out of a fincher movie or like a seven it feels dark and like lingering and and it feels like a sneaking out and it and i mean we're in october right now when we're recording this and it kind of feels halloweeny in the way that it's like kids sneaking away and, you know, this kind of creepy thing going on in the background and like kid missing. And it feels like it has all of the ingredients of something that I should love. But I like I said, this isn't my favorite of the prologues. It doesn't mean it's bad. I still like it. But of of the prologues, I think that I liked the other two in the Western and the kind of quick pace a little bit more than the sort of investigative roots that we see here. Yeah, I can I can mirror that sentiment a little bit. It's. It's different for sure compared to everything else that we've experienced from these characters and from Branderson in general. This this feels like a departure as far as like writing style goes to a certain extent. I'm not sure what to make of it, but that's definitely fair. I yeah, I guess I don't know what to make of it either. And I don't I'm don't think that it's a net bad thing, right? No. I think that's what we're trying to get to is like this is just it's just kind of different and new and there's nothing wrong with that it. i mean you, you I, you've expressed that this is your least favorite of the mm-hmm. of this era i kind of like it better than of law <sighs> man the darkness the moment of leslie's death when she gets shot and like the whole or, bloody tan standoff thing and then the second book sorry, you've got sorry, the bar sorry, prologue sorry. um you're thinking shadows i'm i'm thinking shadows itself what's the one that started off yeah i think it's shadows of self where it's the flashback yeah i like this better than shadows yeah yeah alloy actually isn't a flashback it starts there so that's a fair point yeah shadows does have a flashback but 
Yeah, I mean, and that's fair. I, I think that there's a lot of stuff to like here. I just think that it has just a little bit of everything and not enough of anything, if that makes sense. Like, there's a lot of different notes here that I definitely will will talk about here. But I wish continually that there was more meat on the bone. And getting into kind of this idea that I had before, this reminds me, this prologue entirely, especially in the way that it progresses this whole time, reminds me of the Indiana Jones movie, God, which The Last Crusade, I'm pretty sure is the one that we found out it was, but reminds me of The Last Crusade in the way that that opens with young Indiana Jones and then ends up cutting to current day Indiana Jones. And this feels very similar. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it's a different episode of that same TV show to me. And I liked the other one a little bit more. You like this one more, you know? Yeah. That's fair. It's got, it's got that same tone. It's a little bit less fun than the other one was, if that makes sense, just because of how dark the you know subject matter and material is. But there's there's some good stuff here. So we move to the kids, of whom are a big focal point here, with Telson sneaking out, as well as the other kids, Forge Idashwi, of whom we later know to be Idedwi, because she is the woman of whom had her powers stolen in the last book in the apartment. We and we to know as Torch. Forge's later torch. Fair point. And Wax joins as well, but he's referred to by his terrorist name throughout, which I think we've heard once before, once or twice before in the previous book as a synthew, but it's said enough times here that you can actually remember what it is. From from Grandma V, right? Yeah, Waffendahl. So it's kind of as, which I'm I'm actually going to say, it's kind of German the way that Michael Kramer (laughs) said it. So I... I'm sticking with it. I'm sticking with how Michael Kramer said that one. But but we get the scene of kind of like some bullying going on. We know that Wax is an outside kid because he has these kind of split worlds and split life. He's got these two shadows of self kind of chasing him around as he kind of feels like he's in both both worlds at all times. What do you think of the kids? Here's where I'm going to agree with you about needing more meat on the bones because we don't get enough interaction with any of them to truly get a grip on who any of them are. But we get enough to know that they're a little bit rebellious for whatever reason. There's a specific reason. But we don't really get to know that yet. And it it just... Man, the description of like a Halloween movie, I feel like is the best way to put it. And being faced with that question, I don't know what I feel like about, about the kids. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but but that is entirely like that was the vibe I got when I was rereading it this morning, you know, for another pass before we do this episode. And I was like, oh, yeah, Halloween movie. That was my first gut instinct was sneaking out. And especially as the way the rest of this proceeds and you kind of see that mystery unfold. It just reminds me of like a slasher movie in a in a big way. I, I do want to talk about I dash we for just a second here. It is there's just like the tiniest bit of like she clearly thinks wax is cute. Wax thinks she's cute. It's like just well done enough that i like it but it doesn't add enough to recontextualize her and i don't know if i would have liked it if there was more and i don't know if i would have liked it if it didn't exist so like i don't know if it matters but i do like the way it was written i think is kind of the core point i don't i don't know if i care for the beat but i think it was one of the so small but it was just this little bit of like fingers touching and brushing and it was just like just enough to tantalize the senses a little bit for a teenager my one immediate sort of criticism of this part is that going back to shadows of self which we do know now to have been written second mostly 
he did write about the first third and then rewrote it and whatever else. But yeah. Well, either way, the Dashway part, it did. I, I didn't feel any sort of indication that Wax knew who this person was. Like had heard the name, had recognized that it, like it was someone, but I didn't remember any sort of fondness or memory of this person being brought up in the previous book. They're like teens here and he's like 40 there. So like he's lived a whole life between A and B and he also didn't live here that long. Yeah, you know, that's he, fair. he was like here for two years or something like that. Like he wasn't here for a very long time. Yeah. Um, so I so, guess that, that can be a commentary on the fleeting feelings of teenage love. Yeah. Uh, and that's why like I don't it, I, I think I'm with you on it where it's like I don't know if you get rid of it. I don't know if you try to make it more than anything. I think it's in a nice spot but I do like the way it's written regardless. Like I think it's actually kind of sweet. Whether or not it's important I don't know. I still think you could have you could have done some sort of like hearing the name was a was a sudden long forgotten fondness that ultimately yeah. came to nothing. Like I don't know something like that. It just it felt weird that there was no no memory of this person kind of brought up. And maybe there was and I just didn't key into it. But yeah. And and that's where I think like regardless it's not oh, there's just the smallest touch of him remembering. It's very small. So I, it's it's something that you can imagine him brushing over, but it's there, right? So she brings up the name and I had to look this up because I was like, I think there's something there, but I'm not sure if it's that much. Right. So the first thing is, is he he he's saying the name and it's pronounced in the terrorist manner. I dash we the syllables felt thick in his mouth. Another reminder of his days in the village. The terrorist language is dead once, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, I swear I know that name. And then she Grandma V says, you did know her long ago. You were with her that night, actually before and then it cuts off and says, ah, yes, slender golden hair, shy, didn't speak much. I didn't show, know she was a ferrochemist. So, like, there's a decent, there's, like, enough there, but it's not something, it's great for a reread, does not really matter, no matter which way you slice slice it. But it is. I didn't even realize there was a cutoff in that conversation. Yeah, right? Which is like he interrupts with a mental image and cuts out this whole other part, which is this part of the story that we're getting to read and listen to yeah. now. Which okay. Which I That's think a good payoff. with it I don't know that it is. And here's why. Because I it feels like a reverse payoff. You know what I mean? Because we don't get the context and so we don't really know what we're seeing here. Because it's not made a big enough deal for it to it's a seed, right? It's not a payoff. It's it's not a it's not a Chekhov's gun. It's a question mark it's a loose question yes exactly and it does it does pay off in the end when you know and you have that context but i think it's it would be it would be giving too much credit especially in the case of knowing how these were written to say that this was not something that was like directly linked because he yeah yeah i don't feel this strongly about this bit but it's fine i i do think overall it's it's a good moment it's a sweet moment before it's kind of fun yeah yeah, but more importantly, there's Grandma Waffendal, right? And the coffin constable that's at the door. Waffendal. <laughs> Waffenberger. Hembertsford. <laughs> Go and do a little bit of Pink Panther, Jacques Clouseau. Uh, <laughs> Try to save Waffendal here. But she's got the constable at the door. And I, I think that there's some interesting details that kind of get 
pushed in here. This feels like a decent commentary on modern policing, I think, especially in the way that she approaches the questions and how she's being asked and, you know, how this small community feels, you know, invaded by a police force, an external police force. And I think that's really great and well-written representation on Sanderson's part and kind of a nice little bit. But I think the really scene, I really like the scene that follows the commentary on policing that we have here where he's called into the room for observing the whole time as though she heard him or something. What do you think of grandma? Like what, what are your thoughts on, on grandma throughout the section and kind of her advice on what to do and you know, grandma feels like I knew for sure. I knew for sure. She knew that wax was there the entire time. Mm-hmm. But I think that's mostly because she feels very true to the person that we had met the previous book. She feels very consistent in that way and a little bit stubborn, a little bit. Sh- I think because we're inhabiting Max's point of view here, I took on that sort of short sightedness perception as she's talking to the police. But overall, I think she is a she is exactly who the terrorist people need in order to maintain the level of tradition that they want to maintain as a people. They need to have somebody gruff pushing back against the modern police force in order to continue living the lives that they're living. And it it feels once in a while like an ugly necessity, but I think it is. I think, I think she needs to be who she is here to make sense. I I think you're right. I think it is very consistent and it does paint what I would say. She is a very, intuitive and perceptive woman as well and does a really good job of adding to that picture from the last novel right like it gives you it feels consistent it feels like she's got this sort of magnanimous isn't the right word but she's got this like elderly stateswoman persona about her and i really really enjoy that as a as a matter of consistency and you know oversight inside of this so all right, so we we cut from Grandma to Wax going off and doing a little meditation, religious chant with a telling d- and Wax kind of dwelling on the past in this moment. And there's there's a lot to kind of mention, and maybe we don't need to talk about this so much, but what did you think about the sort of... We know how Wax feels about religion to this day. We know that Wax doesn't follow the terrorist religion that he's... No, rather, I think he does. He's a Pathian, and I think terrorist people are Pathians. But what would you make of the sort of ritual aspect of of this as well as telling Dora. Well, this, this section in general has a quote that I found to be very telling, but I felt like there was a really profound thing around it. Sure. And I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but the, uh, let the rules become your guide in them, find peace. That, that quote is obviously core to who wax is in all of our time in knowing him. Yeah, super, definitely, absolutely, he resonates with that. But I feel like there was something immediately surrounding There's also that quote, like I can't exactly remember what it was. Metal is your life, metal is your soul, you'll preserve us, you will, and so will we be yours, you know. There there are a lot of different kind of quotes that happen inside of that section that are like small little bits that are clearly meant to talk about the faith. Mm-hmm. But specifically with that quote, I do not remember the section around it it does like my perception of that section did Mm -hmm. make me feel like it was harmony talking directly to wax in these moments because it didn't feel super 
relevant to anybody except except for a twinborn. This is something that Grandma Vaffendal says. So I put this in the wrong spot. Grandma Vaffendal says, never is a word that youths often use, but rarely understand. Let the rules become your guide. In them, you will find peace. If some are resentful because of your zeal, let them be. Eventually, through meditation, they will make peace with such emotions. And that's what leads him to go meditate. Okay, that was it. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Which but is interesting the- because it's like he he cherry picks like we did. He cherry picks that part of it out and like maybe the next line about zeal and then removes the meditation. That's like basically what guides his life. Not that he doesn't internally think about these things, but he lets rules be his zeal in which he takes action. Okay. I really, I misremembered it too. I totally thought that was part of the meditation part. It is directly what leads to it, but you know, that's yeah. fair enough. So, um, yeah. Was it, were there, were, were there quotes about metal though in the meditation? Yeah. Metal is your life. Metal is your soul. You preserve us. And so we will be yours. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. That feels like harmony chain. talking to wax through telling to That's fair. This is getting a little cheeky with it, but is not every sort of religious recitation and prayer like that not know, supposed to know be that, God that talking? This, to you? you know what I mean? <laughs> we know that there are mechanics in which, like, it can be actually happening. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was just trying to get it. Like, that's literally. <laughs> I know. Yeah. But those aren't real. This one could be. <laughs> <laughs> it does still have the same feeling, though, right? We can agree that it has the same feeling. Yeah, it is very intentionally treading on a lot of those same notes and evoking them. Obviously, talking about it though and comparing the "metal is your life" bit, I think is like comparing any of those kind of ritualistic prayers, right? "Metal is your life," "Metal is your soul." It's similar to the Lord's Prayer or the Nicene Creed or any number of other religious doctrine. We just obviously, as we've mentioned before, we both were raised Catholic, and so we know metals who are in metal. Hallowed be thy metal. <laughs> <laughs> Hallowed be thy atoms. His investiture, I do reap for my identity to keep mine forever without okay, access. Make it rhyme. Make it rhyme. <laughs> to, to anyone under harmony. <laughs> I don't know. You could probably pretty easily. That's why I was going with investiture and identity because I was like, that kind of works. Like it, it's got the similar, it's got the similar syllables. And you can rhyme identity with harmony. But anyway, that's very, very silly silly shit okay moving on from the the stuff here <laughs> forge aka murder nerd we're gonna talk about him for a little bit torch torch is a twin born as well which is important to note because he is also kind of an outcast in a similar way to a synthy kind of like and a program trying to get also a coin shot also a coin shot yeah which i want to know the breakdown and the percentage of people that are of of, of the metal born is it an equal spread or do you think it's more people spread? that are iron than there are steel like is it is it a is it a uniform kind of distribution so if we remember the original era we kind of know that it's a uniform distribution because of the percentage of people that were taken out however since then has harmony adjusted it no clue. We don't know. And there's some questions about bloodlines and the way that that's been manipulated versus, you know, otherwise. And is it something that isn't just a the same sort of trait that's passed down, meaning that, like, you can be any of the metals or none of the metals in the same way that it was, you know, before? Does he get to choose? No, 
I'm thinking, does Harmony get to choose? Is that what you mean? No. Maybe. That would be a lot of... I feel like he'd be sitting at a lot of birthing rooms being like, no, no, yes, no, 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 yes, yes, double yes. He's got fucking time. What's he doing? (laughs) It's fair. And I I feel like we'd see a Mistborn. Well... More, like, once in a while, if that wasn't decidedly not allowed. I think that he, in the words of founding, said that there were no more Mistborn. So, like, in in the words of founding, he stated, okay. (laughs) I mean, fair enough. He could choose. he's manipulated it in a way. Well, he manipulated everyone's DNA so as to make that not really a thing outside of, you know, whatever Mistborn may have been living at the time and then spook. So, Who was unnaturally gifted the trait. So we still still don't know... There's still a lot we don't know. There's if so it, many questions. Yeah, this is like, this is an indeterminate. It's genetic, but it's not necessarily strictly genetic. Well, yeah, and there's we some there's we, some questions now. We don't know necessarily if somebody that was a misborn through un like unborn means, like if they weren't born a misborn, and they they gained it through whatever the nuggets are or. The the gift of the god that Spook got. Um, I mean, the Lord Ruler got the gift of the god, too. Or maybe he ate a bead. Hmm. Hmm? He might have eaten a bead. Never mind. And Kelsier, we learn later on, may have bestowed it upon himself. What? Hmm? I think you're... No, you're interpreting something wrong, um, the, which is chapter three. Yeah, no... No, we'll talk about that in a minute. The survivor is obviously talking about Kelsier, but he did not bestow himself. Uh, he held the power. The, there, are, yes, we'll have to talk about that in a moment. <laughs> but no, what you're and suggesting he wasn't is wrong. Misborn before that. No, that's not true. Or there's a giant question mark there. Yeah, there's sometime before that he wasn't a Mistborn, and then maybe he was. Maybe he ate a nugget. Huh? And then he was a Mistborn. <laughs> After that, I we we have pretty telling and damning evidence that it was the pits that turned him into a misborn that activated the gene that he was never stressed enough. Otherwise, I thought we had. I we'll get into it later. Like, okay, we'll talk about it when we get there. That is not. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. So, but Forge Murder Nerd, we have to talk about Murder Nerd. <laughs> because this is this is the whole scene right so like wax wax sneaks up on him and he's torturing a kid and he snuck away and he was going to be able to blame kind of the sneak away on the other kids for sneaking and whatever else and like he had a he had this very clever laid out plan for how he was going to kind of get away with this moment what'd you make of of forch the forcher and anything else scene? (laughs) i wasn't prepared for (laughs) forcher Man, it's. It, I like that there are these complex, just off characters that, from a young age, they're exhibiting char- like characteristics like this, and it's it's the beginnings of a serial killer, is what it feels like, especially with the arson tied up with it. it it's just a level of complexity and character building that I. I'm really satisfied with. I I really like this scene. Yeah, I I think that I do too. I think that it is 
it is a lot very quickly. And so I think that some of the detective work that Wax doesn't feel earned necessarily to get there. However, I do really like that, A, like he didn't relent. That's very in line with Wax's character. That makes sense to me. And I also appreciate Forge's characterization, like you're saying. Like those are the big takeaways from the scene for me that are really well emphasized and and kind of pushed to the forefront here for us to really focus on the the way that this whole scene goes with him like pushing the giant metal bar into him and everything else and i there's there's just a lot of fun i think that like from an action perspective i mean fun is maybe the wrong word to put on this this is a very stressful scene comparatively especially because wax doesn't have his medals he's not wearing his bracers so he can't really do anything and he thinks through his situation he uses the bullet to shoot him in a really clever way which is fun i don't i still don't quite get the mechanics of that but that's fine is black powder whatever black powder that they use not metal then whatever fuel they use inside of it because it's it's the bullet itself the or like the the bullet the chamber and the firing pin essentially and he just pushes on the firing pin but what makes the firing pin work is contact with the hammer yes for sure a gunpowder is not metallic black powder is not metallic so and has not been doesn't really matter yeah that that was a side tangent thought yes yeah Um, inside of that but just pushing on the firing pin without like making contact with another metal piece like another piece of metal to like, I don't know. I don't understand how that could be effective in firing the bullet. Well, it's not okay. And this, this is equally a question as it is a, a statement. Please take it that way. Thinking about the mechanics of Alamancy, if you push on something really hard, is not, is that not the same? Like if you push on the blasting pin, is that not the same as actually hitting it? You're not the, the pin isn't creating a spark or anything. It's just creating an indentation and a force, which generally kicks off depending on the bullet, right? This is a, there's a little bit of variance here, but there's a little insert on the inside of most bullets beyond just the actual, my God, the thing on the back, what's it called? Blasting cap. So there's the the little, the little pin that you hit and then, but there's a little like tripod in the inside, depending on the bullets that also releases to like propel that momentum, make sure that everything's moving forward. And I think that that is disconnected by the physical connection of the hammer, which is the biggest deal beyond just the actual need of impact. So in my head, that's what breaks for me inside of the bullet, not the impact itself. It's mostly because there's nothing retaining the shell casing. There's also that. Also that. So like pushing on the fire. Just shove the bullet into his head. It's just going to shove the bullet. Yeah. It's all going to act as one unit because it's all fused together. And you're working with like metal deformation because of mm-hmm. re- retaining geometry. Yeah. This feels like a cool thing, not a logical thing. This feels much in the same way. Like the, I talked to you on the phone earlier about like not, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of experience behind the writing for Wayne's alcoholism. This feels. Yeah in that similar vein of just not a lot of like he technically understands the mechanics of how a bullet fires, but is missing pieces as to why it works. Yeah. I'm rereading the scene real quick. Yes. I think it does make sense. But Um, that said, I wonder if there's some sort of, Oh, uh, not what's the term? Some sort of iron savantism. 
or steel savantism. I think that's a part of it for the record. Like snaps right here because this is the first instance of him like being able to break apart the different individual components, right? Yeah, he's feeling the three parts of the bullet, right? So he feels the the cap, the shell, and the tip or whatever, and it, he clarifies that. And he shoves on the knob of the back, so he lets go of the first two of which he was previously propelling, and then he shoves. So letting go of the force means that it's no longer pushing against, you're no longer pushing against it, so it slows down, and then pushing the other end in could create a similar action. I don't think it would be the same. Better than a, here's the thing, better than not, Shooting it, probably better than it not exploding, but probably not as clean of an explosion as firing a firing pin and barrel would be, right? I mean, I would think... Fun fact, it's only, there's it's actually a Mythbusters. Because it's lined up that way, and it's aligned. Mm-hmm. Like, it, that, that is such a lucky fucking moment. For sure. I definitely agree with you. I said Mythbusters a moment ago. There's a new slow-mo guys in which they shoot a bigger bullet with a smaller bullet. And it's really great, but it shows exa- it shows like the way that this can go wrong when you're not using a barrel and a pin firing system and using the pressure of the barrel to really propel the bullet. Because that's a huge component of how this works. So it would give you a little bit of firepower in a very short distance, but it would not provide you with a substantial advantage over just shoving the bullet in the guy's head. Yeah. But it's cool. Yeah, yeah. Again, cool factor. Definitely there. Big kills Forge. And then there's there's a lot of sort of blame that gets placed on Wax in, in this moment. And we're talking a lot about the prologue because it's the longest chapter of the week by a stretch. But there's there's a lot of pressure that's placed on Wax after this. What do you... Not, not direct pressure, but there's a lot of like connotations of what's going to happen, right? He saved this kid, which is great. The kid looks up to him and like really appreciates him. He's obviously given the constable fuel in the fire for the reasons that they should be inside of the the terrace people's space to do policing, which clearly becomes a stress point over the course of the rest of Waffendahl's life. And, you know, there's the disappointment that he didn't listen to his, his grandma, right? That ultimately makes him a different kid. At the same time, he feels like he's coming into himself. So there's there's a lot of dueling feelings going on in this moment. Did you have thoughts there? Yes. My, my one thought what was the kid that got saved? I don't know that he had a name. I know. And that's something that I feel like could have been more impactful is a, sure. a tight, a tight bond being, being forged here. But sure. what it does do is solidify a path towards lawmanship. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's absolutely a flashback origin story to like, the the notorious wax Mm -hmm. this this definitely sets that up this sets up the idea of in the same way that like batman's origin does with his parents dying and then falling in the well this is very much kind of the same thing for wax so yeah i i i do like it quite a bit it does feel personally even though i did just say that this is the longest chapter this feels a little quick for the amount of information that it was communicating. It honestly feels like something that could have used a little bit more time, you know, just to like make it feel meatier. Like you're saying, there's a couple of small details. Give him a little bit more time to work out the puzzle. Give it a little bit more time to. Uh, this could have been to, a novella. 
It could have been a novella. Obviously, it's a lot of restraint to not make it a novella and just to put it at the beginning of the book. But is that more satisfying than having a novella between that is, you know, the origin of wax that makes it feel substantial and kind of extra worldly in its own right? Right. Because this feels good. It just doesn't feel killer. Like this has all the potential to be like an incredible story, but it's cut down to just the most important bits. And so because it's just those most important bits, it never really sinks its teeth in, I think, fully for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But the prologue isn't even fucking over yet. We've got another <laughs> chunk of prologue. We do. <laughs> so we cut from there to the Indiana Jones-like sequence that I was saying before, the 28 years later from this moment, and it's a shoot-up at the hideout. It's reminiscent of the other two prologues that we've had, which is funny, but it's in the current day, so it just goes to show if you compare it to the other prologues that Wax hasn't changed that much. And it also gives you a nice conclusion to the sort of stranger outsider feeling that Wax is having in the first part of this prologue where he didn't feel like he belonged in either the noble society or in terrorist society. So this shows that he did, he has found his place. This is where it is. If for some reason you started the book series here, you could feel at home. This is the, the fourth installment of the 28 days later trilogy. (laughs) And it it took a turn, man. (laughs) This is, this is the first book in a trilogy of standalone novels. This is the second book in a trilogy of standalone novels, and any of them are good entry points, but you should read them in order. Um, is there a 28 months later, by the way? I 28 days, 28 weeks. I think there's that's it, right? There's those two. Yeah. I didn't know if there was months. But this uh, is years. This is number four, and it, it yeah, this took is a turn. There is a 28 months later. Is there really? Wait, is there? Is there? Plot under wraps. Oh, supposedly there's going to be one of those. Gotcha. But originally they were aiming to do a sequel for a while, a a long time ago. But apparently the cast is stated interest in reprising those roles. And I mean, Garland was down to write it. So that's cool. Nice. Shit. Actually, they even met to discuss preparation alex garland probably writing it again which is cool i love garland i'm down he only wrote the first one for the record but that's fine anyway cool cool all right well we get this nice shootout it's kind of fun it sets up what we're gonna go into and he walks out dramatically saying i'm places to be after he shoots it up and solves the solves the crime reminds me of matt mercer cassidy like does he reveal here that he's going to a wedding or is that in chapter one i think it's right away in chapter one it might be here oh yeah yeah no he does reveal it right here at the end of the chapter that's you're totally right unfortunately no i have to get to a wedding whose mine i'm afraid and that's the reveal of it being wax as though we didn't fucking know that the whole time they use the name uh, wax. Or do they yeah they do nobody says wax but they use wax i think in in the first person no. So what they do, they say the lawman a bunch of times. What happens is, oh, is right oh, near you the mean end. In this, in this jump. Yeah, in the jump. In the, in I the, thought you meant the in beginning the pro- prologue. Oh, no, okay. no, no. In the beginning prologue. However, what they should have done in the beginning prologue is just said it's sent you, and they should have had, shouldn't have had him. That would have been the way to do it. It would have made this, it would have been just as cheesy of a reveal, to be honest. Like it wouldn't have really changed it, but it yeah, would have felt a little bit more, you know. I mean, you still would have had the interactions with the grandmother. 
Yeah, you would have still had context. With Waffen Doll. Yep. Which I'm never going to forget at this point now. <laughs> Waffle Ball. <laughs> we had the interaction with Waffle Ball. And, uh, oh, no. <laughs> we are off the rails so early in the show, guys. I'm so sorry. Truth be told, though, the rest of this is very... I say so early, and we've been going for like an hour. Yep. The rest of this is pretty clean cut and drive until chapter three. So the next two chapters are pretty straightforward. Like we were saying, we go into... Chap- we go into part one here, and with that, we go into chapter one. Wax leaves the hideout that he just shut up and is kind of taking off into the sky. You know, he's on his way to his second marriage, which I actually don't remember if they had said in the either of the previous two books that he was married previously. I they don't hadn't. think that they did. Oh, um, was there something about a and see that's where my my brain gets. I think there was now they I think I that think there was there something was. about a simple wedding, but I don't think it was ever made a very big deal. And he never called Lessie his wife, which was the other nope. thing, which always it's not it's not like it's weird to not do that because it's a person to you. Right. But mm-hmm. like it's a yeah. Yeah. So I, it, it was just one of those things where I was like, it didn't feel like it was highlighted well enough in the previous books to like hit me that hard here. But. I'm like, I feel like I'm convincing myself that it was mentioned and I'm not, con- I'm not convinced, but I think it, that's where I was. And then you said it. And then I was like, Oh yeah, totally, totally. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> good. 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 I'm in the clear, but I'm not positive. <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to take the time to go and look that up, but I'm going to believe like, here's I, what I'm going to do. I have this imagery in my head of like a, a red dead redemption wedding. <laughs> mm-hmm. Basically. Same, which is why I'm like, I think maybe that happened. Okay, I do want to. Here's what I'm going to do, because I don't want to dig through this and go back and look it up. I'm going to give Brandon my faith and say, I bet you mentioned a fucking wedding. <laughs> and I'm gonna, just going to believe gonna in you. Steal that faith. He's going to run with it. You're part of a cult now, man. And you, you know, it's you know, it's going to happen. Someone on Twitter is going to be like, you don't know that the wedding didn't happen until this book. <laughs> I'm going to be like, fuck, I don't know, man. I placed faith in Brandon. So here we are. If, yeah, I, if I fucked I, it up. If we collectively Brandon. fucked it up, you know, just let us remember it. We're part of a cult now. And Mandela like effect boys. If you wake someone up out of a cult, you risk killing them. So don't do it. Just don't do it. I didn't think <laughs> that you meant sleepwalkers like actual people sleepwalking. And I thought you meant Sleepwalkers, the Stephen King movie. And I was like, you've seen fucking Sleepwalkers, one of the most obscure Stephen King picks of the hat. Of course you have it. Of course you have it. It was real people sleepwalking. It was Mike Berbiglia sleepwalking that you were talking about. I'm talking about people sleepwalking. No, I know. The (laughs) idea that if you wake them up, they'll die, which is hilarious as a prospect. (laughs) I, I know. What I meant is that you're talking about Mike Burbigley, a type of sleepwalking, not. Oh, 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 OK. Yeah. Not the not the comedy special or anything like that. Specifically, I meant. Gotcha. The type of sleepwalking that you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Wayne has some pretty good one liners here before Wayne wax launches into the sky. I really like the the commentary on, you know, the second marriage and kind of what's going on. And he says, oh, is that how it works? Because in my experience, marrying is the one thing people seem to get worse at the more they do it. 
And it just like lays on this thick layer of resentment that Wayne obviously has for Steris. And yeah, there's still kind of a big why there. Why yeah. why this bad? But we'll get there. Yeah, there's that. But it is also kind of a funny commentary on divorce statistics and becoming more and more likely to get divorced the more often you get married. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is much more likely to happen if you've done it once. Yep. That checks I, out. I don't know. I've got, I've got counter arguments for that as well. Oh yeah. Both of my parents are divorced and remarried and are still married and in better marriages for them. <laughs> yep. Exactly. So, but yeah, the, the vitriol that Wayne has for Steris is alive and well in this book. Yeah. Yeah, just a little bit. There's a little bit of friendly banter between them, though. Kind of later, but, but I, not, I, I not think that as, that originates. Not as poisonous. That banter originates from Steris, though, not Wayne, which is why I think that it is more friendly is because she's naturally cordial. I um, mean, that's how she interacts with people, despite whether or not they hate them. Like, she just does. She interacts that's like fair. that. Yeah. So... Yeah, there's there's a lot to talk about with Wayne and the resentment, but we'll get there. So he launches wax launches into the sky through through the sky, excuse me, to his wedding. We see the water tower there, which had been set up in the previous over nice over top the nice dome church that we had been in before, where we previously had witnessed the man get spiked to the wall in the last story. Hasn't been that long since the last book. We also get the time frame of it's been about six months has passed between the stories. So like a little bit of time, enough for some pieces to have moved and shaped and changed, but not so much that we're kind of lost and we're not in a completely different world at this point. We yeah. moved to Steris. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I, I was going to say before we get too far removed from it, there is a character mm-hmm. that will come back that Wax disregards and like that's when he pushes off and like jumps away. Right? This is the it's, I think it's right away he meets the Chandra who wants to talk to him and he's like, Nope, fuck off. And he like flings himself, he just yeets himself away with a coin. Oh yeah. So technically the guy shouts for him. But doesn't actually no, that's the coachman. Oh no, never mind. There is a man in a brown suit. So it is it is Vendel at this point, but it's yeah. just he doesn't even acknowledge Vendel. I remember my first time reading through it. I thought it was funny that it, he was it is, that, like, it is kind of a nope, fuck off about it. it and then it became It is important. kind of a humorous Yeah, it's a humorous moment, but it also returns later because he then I think is in front of the venue right and calls him out yeah, again he, or is it just there wayne there <laughs> yeah yeah because he brings it up again okay so anyway yeah point being that it's it's almost like blink and you'll miss it the first time because it is meant to be like a background thing where it's more like oh hey wait but you're right it is it is very funny and it is very much like a nope i'm gone goodbye yep which is strong but we we moved to Steris and her getting ready, I think, is really great. There's a moment of modesty here with Wax where he's getting undressed to get changed or whatever. And she's like, well, I think we're, we're about to get married. So I think I can see you with your shirt unbuttoned. And then he drops his pants and she's like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just blush central from there. And There's I don't know. Blushing. I don't know if I've made it clear yet, or if I've like stuck away from talking about it too much, but Brandon fucking loves to use blush. He uses it so frequently to describe female emotion that honestly, and like reactions to things and like the sort of immodesty or modesty of moments that 
it is the most grating thing in his writing to me. It is the number one thing that I detest the most is the overuse of blush with women. So I agree with you. I mean, obviously I have a, a much more limited scope than you do. This book seemingly made it a defining characteristic tongue in cheekly of Marisy to seemingly try to like reverse that a little bit, but it still shows up with Steris. So like that point is kind of moot. Yeah. I forget when this book came out. I want to say it's 2016. This is something that's been present in all of the books. It was something that was present with Vin. It was something that I tried to shy away from mentioning because it was not a... It was pretty obvious, though. Like, I think I mentioned it it a couple times. I think think you did. I think we may have even had a brief conversation about it, but I have to make it very clear that this was one of my breaking points. Even when it's cutely mentioned with Marisy, I'm like, no, dude, learn another word. (laughs) Like, (laughs) figure out something else for a woman, like a character to do. And this is totally on Brandon in his depiction. And I've, I've talked a lot with about some of our, our patrons about this as I was reading this too. But this was this is one of the things that like upsets me the most about Brandon's writing is the amount of modest blushing. And there's nothing wrong with modesty, but there are a number of ways to react. You can grab the shirt and throw it back at him and then run out of the room flustered. Like there, there's so many different ways to react to a scene, but it always seems to be cape the character in the scene blush to show that they're some sort of sensibility in their head is offended and then continue on as though nothing happened. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I gerbil, gerbil, gerbil. Okay. <clears throat> I, I had to go on that tirade. This, this in the later one, the one with Marisy particularly broke me, but in my reread for notes, this one was like, no, she would blush. You're right. Or that she would be like a little bit like taken aback by that moment. And it is funny I do like that he goes like there's there's nice discrepancy in expectations there. That's really enjoyable. But jumping on the easy grenade of a blush, it's just motherfucker. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. I do. I. What are you thoughts on Steris and the immodesty thing, though, in general, without just the blushing context? I mean, like the, ignoring the, joke, the blushing the content, conversation I, I that like they have. Was, this is what kicks off me really loving that Wax seems to be intentionally bringing up unpredictable things to the wedding, mm-hmm. just to be kicked in the dick later. It's a fair point, but he seems to be doing it on purpose. I think. To try to throw her off and get her like out of her head of preparedness. I I think that that's a good, that's a great example of discrepancy here between the two of them is that this is something that she thought that she prepared for, but she didn't. And so it does set her expectation for the entirety of what's to come. But even then, I think it's nice because it does, it does set that and begins to move her out of her head. But then on top of that, I love that she is overprepared for all of these things, right? Like she does, she is aware that things explode around wax and she has prepared so many things because so many different things could go wrong that aren't this. So I don't know. I, I think, I think I'd like the overpreparedness, but I also really like the point that you're bringing up with him trying to get her out of that a little bit and kind of play that. But he also gets into his own head a little bit later, which we can definitely talk about, but. But I I like that dynamic between the two of them of him understanding that she's expecting the unexpected and still Mm -hmm. trying to amp up the (laughs) the unexpected. Yeah, he's a reactionarily. Yeah, 
dropping dropping as many unprepared bombs on her as he can, like he drops trout. Yep, that was fine. So you know, as I said, I love the overpreparedness, but I also really enjoy the way that she deconstructs his phrases here and like really kind of starts to attack the things that he's saying and trying to get at the heart of things. Right, the way that they kind of begin to interact and have these sort of deeper moments after some of the unprepared things right and so he's put on the back foot because she's taken the power in the scene and i I really love that and he even admits that while he doesn't love her right now because he doesn't think that he can love again he is fond of her and he does think that this marriage can work be it a marriage of political and economic convenience but he thinks that he can have some kind of a relationship while it may not be love it's still Better than what I think he had originally thought when we were interrogating the contract back in book one. Or sorry, the prequel. There's clearly fondness here. I Mm -hmm. think just leaning back on what I had just talked about, the fact that he is thoughtful in his... Harassment? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it can grow to love. I don't think that's unreasonable. And I, I think there's a good delineation there and a good complexity of feeling that's described, but there's no reason to believe that it can't grow into something more yeah, than what it currently is. Yeah, it definitely feels like it's possible, right? Like there's a distinct... It's more that Wax is such a cynic that he can't see the possibility, but we can very clearly see that there is that, you know, if he can break that cynicism, if he can break out of that cycle, if he can really put Leslie in the past, of which is actually a fresh wound now. It went from someone that he was getting over and starting to get on the other side of to now literally being re-brought up and re-killing her. I think going beyond that, I if he was truly as cynical about it as he puts himself on to be, Mm-hmm. he wouldn't be making this much of an effort. Also true. Yeah, that's like, I, that's very I think, true. I think he's less cynical than he's presenting himself. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I definitely wasn't arguing that. I just think that he he's, he himself is embracing a cynical mindset, but he's not putting out the cynical energy necessarily. Yeah. I, I might argue that the terminology could be flipped and you could still be right, that he's putting out cynical energy but he's not embracing oh. a cynical mindset, but net results the same. It, yeah, I guess. He's got the cynical thoughts, but he's doing not cynical things. But he's also thinking like there, there's clearly he's, a battle going on. Yeah, he's, he's trying to it. convince himself that he's that he's more cynical than he really is. Yes. Yeah, totally. But Wax has a doubt, dose, a dose of cynicism administered to him here as he has to wave away a Chondra that was chasing him earlier to leave him alone. We know, of course, this to be Vendel a little bit later. And it really shows, I think, more than anything else, that he hasn't rectified his gap in faith with Harmony. Like, he has not forgiven Harmony in any way, shape, or form for what's been done, which I think is, in its own right, also him not forgetting Lessie and it's a way for him to honor Lessie by not forgiving Harmony. So th- that feels like it's kind of dueling in the faith in his head. Is, but, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was one of the Chondra that was dead in the cells that Tensoon was in, or is this the Vendela effect? <laughs> I think it's the Vendela effect <laughs> for the record. No, Vendel was not in the book until no, I'm fucking with you. You motherfucker. He was mentioned in Shadows himself. Um, I just, I needed, I needed Vendela effect. 
It's definitely the Vandela effect, you motherfucker. Sorry. <laughs> you son of a B. No, but it it is it is gr- like I really really enjoy this again a duality of faith here that's presented right not necessarily duality like he's fighting between faiths like says it was or like you know arguing internally between different sides but he is actively interrogating his own faith right now because of the physical interaction of his faith with his reality and his fate ultimately like his entire life trajectory seems to have been predetermined to some degree and controlled Mm -hmm. yeah how How far does the wedding actually get in this scene? So the wedding itself is is interesting, right? So basically they go through like an intro ceremony. You know, it's a round kind of dome and it's all built in a very different way. There are ash girls that walk around the edges and sprinkle ash. They've got torches that are lit up to provide some mist inside of the dome to make it feel like this like really survivorist ceremony. And before we talk about like how far it gets, I do want to at the very least say like, we're in a fantasy world. This so clearly mirrors like some of the traditions of like Abrahamic and Christian religious ceremonies that it was like a little bit off putting. I mean, not off putting, but like wasn't the most interesting thing. Like trading out flower girls for ash girls is like okay, you know. No, but um, the the one that was more interesting to me was the God. I know the term for it: the smoke balls that get swung incense. The there's there's a very specific term for the for those sensors that sounds right yeah and that being converted into something that mimics ash or mimics mist makes sense like it's a little heavy-handed yes to to bring it into sort of a christianity based ceremony but i liked the parallels being drawn the parallels being drawn between it and Christianity between the, between the ceremonies, like the sure, sure, yeah. to a, to a Christian ceremony and this. Yeah. So I understand that the augmentations are interesting, right? I think that it is thematically heavy handed, kind of like you're saying, like, it's like, Oh yeah. Ash mists. Duh. Like, of course it makes sense for a survivorist. But I, I think that it's just so on the nose. It is. For That's like true. a Christianity stand-in, especially given the Kelsier connotations already and being made out to be this Christ-like figure inside of the religion of the survivorists. Like he is the martyr in the same kind of way. You know? I don't know. Yeah. That's where that's where survivorism bums me out a little bit because it's like, okay, you... It could have I mean, been in all so but much name. more interesting. But at the same time, what's the... What's the path of least resistance to celebrating all of these things all at once? That and is what it is. Does and that's it why I don't really produce something similar to what Christianity produced. I mean, I just like totally. I, know. I definitely get it. I want something more fun and more different. We want, but we watch like, House of the Dragon. We see a blood marriage in that that more closely directly relates cool. to, you know what I mean? Like. That's it's a small thing, but it communicates a different kind of culture. And what this communicates to me is, oh, survivorism is a close parallel of Christianity. Is that but is that supposed to be my takeaway? It already was. Or it was it was obliquely a connection. It was pretty now, this, clear. It it was definitely evocative, but Sanderson clearly has stated a couple of times that he didn't mean it for me to for it to be, but this is so this is beyond opaque 
was beyond the pale. This was for me. So this this was a faith born out of the people and congregation more than it was out of like the actual teachings of anybody. So that faith being th- those those interactions being centered around a a congregation like this is like a Catholic mm-hmm. church. To me, it makes sense. I still don't buy that it was unintentionally parroting Catholicism, and maybe it was like subconsciously, but I don't, I don't buy the argument that it was entirely coincidental. I don't think it's coincidental. I think what he was trying to make clear is that there, the reason that religions being are made after people are very similar. Like, there's no way to distance yourself from some of these things, and I. Also, just don't think that that's strictly true. I think it's the path of least resistance to write some of these same type of stories. And especially when it's something you grow up with, right? Like it's something that's in the back of your head. And so the easiest thing to do is pull on the thing, things that you know the most about and have the most experience with. And so this is one of those things that just to me felt like it felt like it grounded in otherworldly experience to a point in which it's not like it snapped my immersion, but it was like, all right, well, fine. Even Vin and like even Vin and Ellen's wedding is more unique in its presentation and less like obliquely representative of any religion. You know what I mean? Like there's more there. I like theirs. Yeah. I think I highlighted it as one of my favorite moments. Yeah. So I think that's why I'm bummed is because comparatively we have a strong marriage already in this. We know we've gotten other definitions of ways that people get married. And the one that we get presented with is the one of the two that we get presented with is, you know, just very. I also don't think that Brandon Sanderson himself celebrates the way that the Pathians present themselves. I think I think it's more of a critique on Catholicism and and Christianity and the way that they worship to a certain point. The, the way what that about the, it makes it a critique? Pa- I'm curious. This is Survivor, right? Not Path. Or that's what I meant. Survivor. Yeah. This this interaction itself, not so much. Mm-hmm. Like that that Go doesn't ahead. really come into play. But some of the previous books and the way that things get augmented and the teachings get warped and yeah, I think that most of the rest of it is kind of critiquey. I, so, I totally so agree with that. Extending that and using that as a parody of Christianity and extending that forward, even, even though that, even though this isn't a critique in it of itself, the fact that it represents something and is recognizable extends that, previously made it doesn't parody. it doesn't pick at anything though which i think is the the it thing itself for me doesn't, right no you're right and but it could have been more I, it unique. contributes to the whole it's like it, it's to your point it's like it's contributing to the myth that we're talking about of the critique of christianity through the survivor faith but it is not in and of itself critiquing anything or making any statement and so it well, feels borrowed there is the there is the darkness behind the backdrop that wax alludes to of the the previous crucified priest yeah there is that that they're literally having it done in the same i mean is that a 
Yeah, I don't. Is there any kind of critique? I think that's just on his mind. You know what I mean? My thing is like, if nothing else, my takeaway from this, Ash girls are boring. That is that's so boring. Fair. And it doesn't so make boring. a lot of sense to me. No, I understand that the survivors would worship the ash and like have a lot of respect for the ash and the mists that that makes sense for me for the world before, you know, that's that's a lot of religions worship the world before. Imagine and mist so, girls worse, somehow worse. I don't know. Ash girls were better. I don't think mist girls. No, mist no, trailing. no, I don't like it. I don't <laughs> No, literally just anything else i think that's my my core takeaway no. here is like i i and we already got this church though we already got the description mm-hmm. of this church mm-hmm. previously mm-hmm. we know what these churches look like it has to take place here i don't know the one thing i would give the whole scene is that they walk down the aisle together on the way up but like yeah you're still walking down the aisle around the don't like around the circle on a carpet it's still it's still the it's same still kind dress. of shit yeah it's still the same kind of shit. I think that's my issue yeah. is it's just like I'm we, not, we put I'm not it disagreeing with you. I'm just trying to find a way to like. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I'm, sense. I'm being a little critiquey today, so I will I will back back it off a little bit. But this this was one of the few things that like irked me about this first section, like I had talked about before, where it was like it it feels fine but especially for a world that it up until this point has felt so different and so well fleshed out this is something that just feels so samey that it's like neat you know right but yeah i i think especially for some for a series that is specifically more often than not a critique of faith this is just an overlay or a repeat of faith yeah. and uh, it gets wet yep yep it gets wet uh, it gets very it wet gets, it gets very wet and that's that's how the chapter ends is the water tower wet wedding the the water tower collapses and creates that wet wedding (laughs) that pj was talking about and we have a lot there's a lot to say about that in the next chapter because that's really where it gets tackled and handled for the most part but Mm -hmm. yeah what a what a moment what a scene i love that he's just wearing one metal button he like everything else is not but he's just got his emergency metal button before. no i know i just like that it's repeated like it's yeah, it's yeah. just the it's the fact that it's like it's a consistent small thing that he it's always has a piece of metal on him fair point he's got his own <laughs> shit button but it also it makes sense in the context of like ever since he was a kid he's needed something like this to like push off of and it's reminiscent of that again so it's a nice it's a nice full circle thing to like see it layered since the beginning all the way until now yeah. you're so right it is no shit button is it? I'm pretty sure it's like not the. It's one of the center buttons, right? Because it's like right at his center of gravity. Mm-hmm. So, like, whatever way he, whatever direction he's looking, it's going that way. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's a nice yeah. little touch. It's a nice little trick, you know, if you're a steel pusher. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. With that, we get into chapter two. I enjoy how the flooded church appears here in this scene and then no one was really hurt, but I wonder if that's really how it would go. You know what I mean? Like, we do get a little bit more on it later that it was less water and that, you know, the the whole thing didn't necessarily pour out and that it was obviously not non-dangerous levels, but a metal water tower collapsing into a glass roof, like, that seems precariously dangerous wayne especially with guests and people you know around i don't see how it's not more dangerous you know what water towers are for right 
<laughs> Do you know how much water in those things? Yeah, yeah. And I think that he clarifies earlier that like he knew that only so much was going to go and whatever and like knew that it was low. There's there's some very small clarifications. I don't think it's enough <laughs> to justify this decision because it's it's not just that like Wayne and obviously we don't quite know this yet. We'll know in a second. But like, couldn't he just do something else to object beyond like literally a an act of I mean, in our society, like felony damages at a felony level, like probably I, I, a lawyer can definitely clarify this for me if I say the wrong sort of thing. But like an act of domestic terrorism, like Lindsay, is that not what we're us. staring at here? Yeah, please, Lindsay, clarify for me. It's property damage for sure, but it's with intent terrorism. To- I think I think that's the way you would frame it. I, He's not intending to kill anyone. You know, that's that's the one gap that I'm giving or, it there. Or but cause harm, undo harm, terror. Yeah, that that was my whole point. My point is, I don't know the frame. I would say I would call this easily without a better term act of domestic terrorist by Wayne. And it likes incredible property damage at the very least. Like I in the current legal system. Attempted murder. <laughs> If Wax wanted to press charges or if any of the Lords wanted to press charges and found out, it could be attempted murder. Not only that, but because of the fact that Marisee knows this, you know what I mean? Does she know that this is happening or does she know he's going to get the whole wedding party wet? She doesn't know in the moment that he's doing it, but when she finds out, she's not turning him in. But she's omitting evidence. She is. She's not giving. She should be turning him in because she knows who committed the crime. We've already put Marisi's like moral compass to task a little bit in the previous book. Like she's not as lawful as she makes mm-hmm. herself out to be. She she is starting to and continuing to live by her own moral code beyond what like Wax is much more lawful than Marisi is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, since Alloy of Law, we've definitely seen that shift when she went from school to in the system to now kind of this detective on the beat street so you're right i i think that's a great point i just wayne you couldn't do anything else maybe this is a matter of of scale and maybe this is a matter of like us not quite understanding what branderson is trying to describe to us maybe a water tower here is much much smaller like that of the water towers on top of the roofs of like New York City buildings that that service yeah, yeah, yeah. that building itself. And it's it's less of a horrifying egregious thing. Yeah, like, I'm, could, I'm not imagining it. the case like if so <coughs> I more closely imagine it to the water towers in I don't know if you've seen this movie. Have you seen Wild Wild West PJ? I don't think so. With Will Smith. Okay. The buzz saws that fly through the corn and chase them down when they've got the locks on their necks, the big old. Oh, yeah. Okay. So in the very first scene, he's like in the hot tub water tower in the in the center of town and his partner comes in and hijinks ensues and they knock down the legs of the water tower and then it spills out all over the, the street and gets a real wet and crazy. That's how I imagine this water tower, an oversized thing. That definitely could cause damage if it fell in the wrong direction, but not so big, not like any of our modern water towers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm curious as to what Brandon Sanderson actually meant. I'd like to see his like artist rendition 
of what's yeah. going down. Yeah, because it and he does say that it's like does he give the more an example that it, of what it is? No, he doesn't. So it doesn't it doesn't solve our problem. But the amount of water that's described and the amount of damage feels like it is some way like maybe it's an acme tower worth of water but it do- okay so actually we got a little bit of a description here the open section of the glass still swung on its hinges up above and the tipped water t- and the tipped water tower its legs on the other side had kept it from crashing down completely until still blocked out much of the sky so it's like it bent and spilled some water in cuz two of the legs sheared and the top sheared off okay hmm I still think Wayne's in the wrong. Well, of course. It's still not fully loosey-goosey, but I think it does rule out the fact that we were talking about like an apartment, like a top skyscraper level water tower. It's an independent water tower. I know that it was described in the last book because this was all set up in Shadows of Self, but... And it was even set up like before this chapter. Oh, it was set up way before... Yeah, I mean, we get a reminder of the water tower, but it was something that was described when Wax is flying through the town and taking care of the ruffians that were on the street, you know, shouting down. So, okay. yeah, anyway, as it is. So, fucking Wayne. Okay, this is also, there's, we get our first use of the term Cosmere here, which is interesting, right? So this is, mm, go ahead. I don't think so. Who's it's used? definitely not in the first trilogy. It's in Shadows of Self. Are you sure? I think so. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Wayne says it. We get our first use of it, <laughs> our first use of it out loud in a sentence here, which I, I think is worth, I think it's still worth commenting on every time the word comes up because there's there's some context, right? Like we have some context, there's some end context in each of these Ars Arcanums that give us this picture of a larger world. There is the very same Arcanum Unbounded, of which we've read a little bit about the Cosmere, and we know that it exists. We've read Elantris. We know that this is an interconnected universe. So every time that it comes up as a word, it's like a red flag goes off. I don't know if you have that same mailbox yeah. flag that pops up in your head yeah. or phone alert. Um, a little bit. It reminds me of... So this is one thing that I feel like I got extra sensory understanding of just being that i'm reading this with you because it feels like i'm playing spore to a certain (laughs) extent understanding that i'm part of a bigger community before evolving like knowing that like i'm gonna evolve and i'm gonna be a part of a bigger like conversation Mm -hmm. going forward but had i not read this like had you said hey read these books not going to talk to you about them. Not going to talk to you anything external. I wouldn't have known about the Cosmere until the previous previous book. I think I would have started to make connections through Elantris and through Hoyd, but I wouldn't have understood that it was a literal galaxy of planets interacting with one another. So it's cool to see it start coming into focus more. That makes sense. Yeah, it does. Does the spore pull track? It does for me. I don't know how many of our listeners know spore, but I I definitely understand what you're saying where it's like you create your character on a path because you know that it's going to be a part of a bigger conversation. Like it is going to be a part of your end result. And so, you know, but in the meantime, you are playing a, a game with with that character mm-hmm. 
without that future knowledge. It would be like it's the difference is if you went into Spore without knowing anything about it, which is hard to do because it's like the the, the whole concept of marketing. Yeah, was right. And and just the <laughs> main aesthetic menu. of the whole game. Yeah. Yeah, so it's very hard. But I, I do want to bring up the quote here, of course. We should talk about it. Do you ever wonder if perhaps the Cosmere is out to overwhelm you, Lord Max Waxillian? No, I. he mentions Harmony, and she says, no, I don't think Harmony so much. Just cosmic chance rolling the dice anytime I pass and always hitting ones. There just seems to be a poetry to it all. And I love how she just kind of like rolls with this whole thing and how they agree to move forward with, you know, the wedding still, of course, despite kind of the differences in opinion, you know, here and in, in kind of the way that they're just kind of proceeding in general at large mm. and nauseam. Yeah. Yeah. Did you expect different? No, but I like that Steris is, I mean, it feels dumb to use the term cosmic, but cosmic mm-hmm. <laughs> like she, she is a grounded realist throughout all of this and doesn't blame any gods just recognizes that she's a little unlucky i like this yeah yeah it's 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 just a small enough note it's so i've spent a lot of time picking apart different things brandon's writing and i think that this is actually something to instead layer on a lot of praise for because i think that he is in this series in particular he's giving more attention and focus to the dialogue this time around in the things characters say, as opposed to just making them talk kind of at each other. And this is one of those moments where it does it does a really great job of characterizing her in a strong way, I think. And makes her feel like she has a lot of agency in the story, as opposed to being kind of puppeteered on puppet strings, like we said with Ben. Right. So, yeah. So we get to, over to Marisi investigating the flooded church, and she goes into the kitchen while Wayne is yelling like a Frenchman at some chefs making food, some cooks making food here. Of course, we have to bring up the cooks, but... This was just so fucking funny to me. I laughed hysterically at this out loud when I was on a walk this weekend, and it was just so good. Michael Kramer kills this moment because you hear him before you get the description of him, and (laughs) (laughs) and you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wayne is, like, to be, like, just to be surrounded by chaos. Mm Mm-hmm. And committing to a character is so Wayne. <laughs> it's so it, good. It's it's so great to be in this moment, to be the schemer and like just know that something else is going to happen in the wedding and to be off doing something somewhere else. Like immediately. He's a guy who did the bad thing and he knows that he did the bad thing, but he's also going to do a Wayne thing, which is like, well, they're not going to catch me. Like, I know that I'm not going to be caught. So I'm just going to go. I, I don't want the food to go to waste. You know, they already paid for it. And kramer's performance to cutting between the frenchman and being like oh hey when he switches accents all of a sudden in like the middle of a sentence or phrase mm-hmm. it's just such a good it's a nice little touch that the audiobook really highlights yeah. yeah yeah i agree we've talked about this a little bit already but wayne being behind this and the property damage i mean like i mean do you have, do you have any more thoughts about like the way that this is approached and addressed like it's just shitty but it's like it's shitty, but it's obvious, especially considering the pendant thing. I felt like that was off from the jump. Mm-hmm. The note, I don't, I don't know. This makes more sense than the story that we were presented with mm-hmm. in the beginning on why Wax wasn't there or why Wayne wasn't there. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. This gives a lot more clarity as to what was going on. So, mm-hmm. you know, Wayne 
drinking cooking sherry in this moment in the scene when he's trying to get drunk is a level of desperation that I feel like is only matched by mixing the only two things that you have in your house, chocolate milk and tequila, tequila, real bad tequila. But it's just like Marisi's calling him out for it's like you shouldn't that's cook. What what are you doing? What do you what do you make of this? You, You mentioned a little bit earlier that we had talked a little bit about this offline, but Wayne's apparent alcoholism what do you make of it so first of all to to bring into focus and understanding the chocolate milk tequila thing oh yeah uh, this was crossland and our friend bill after i had moved out of he and i's apartment i was back at school and those two lived together and we're, we're having a skype night because this is before zoom or facetime or anything or Discord. Um, or Discord. Yeah, so we're, we're hanging out on Skype, playing some League of Legends, I think, early on. And we're all drinking, but all they have is tequila. And this is at the point where, first of all, the tequila was shit. And second of all, it didn't matter because it was alcoholic, but we didn't drink good alcohol but they didn't have anything to mix it with except for chocolate milk and alcohol makes milk curdle, including tequila and including chocolate milk. So Cross and Bill drank chunky tequila chocolate milk. And it was the most horrifying thing I've ever seen on video. That's not true, but it was pretty fucking horrifying. And that's what he's talking about there. But regarding the alcoholism or the supposed alcoholism, there there is... Something here that Brandon Sanderson is trying to get at, and I can feel him trying to get at it, but he just doesn't have the firsthand or secondhand experience with it to do it effectively. And it comes across almost stereotypical. And I know he does a lot of consultation and I know he does a lot of proofreading, but this seemed to just not hit the mark for me. And that's the description of Wax's dependency. And it's not necessarily a physical dependency because we know he has gold to kind of pop him out of things and and recover from things. But there's a neurological dependency for sure, trying to numb things. And there's a bit too much comedy surrounding it and not enough weight that the characters surrounding Wayne lend to it for it to feel realistic to me. If that makes sense. Definitely. There, there is a question like if, if he's making such a big deal of this, is he going for alcoholism? And I feel like I agree with you on the dependency read. It was so, I would call it naive or like innocuous. And it felt like it was blending with Wayne's character so much that I hadn't even considered that it could be a problem that he was burying right inside of his character through, through drinking. So the question that I would pose in response is what do you think he's burying or what, what is he well, drinking away pain for? That's the do thing. We know I, I don't, I don't feel like there was anything that was hidden. I felt like this has been really heavy handed since, the first reveal of him killing that man. Like I, I felt this about Wayne since the previous book. I, there are moments of it for sure. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that 
why does this feel heavy handed? And what do you think he's you, you're saying that you believe that it's he's trying to bury that killing from his past? I guess I guess the heavy handed part that I'm saying is I guess it's hard to describe because the heavy handed part for me is the way that it's brushed off. You know, right. like it's, it's not way, made, it doesn't feel it's sincere because not it's not addressed. The, the the tone yes and the tone is as such that it is played as a gag which is why it feels like a gag all the time when it shouldn't and the only time it hasn't felt like a gag that i can think of is when he actually went to confront the kid and give the money and that's the only time that the alcoholism wasn't played for a gag but he just he just got sober before it you know what i mean like he just got sober right before it and he used a superpower to do so so even that yeah. was kind of gag-ish because it was him working up the nerves to do it, which is, yeah. I'm, I'm not prepared to answer this. There, there's just something that doesn't, it feels close, but not there. I don't know. It, it, I can just tell that it's not written from a place of any sort of understanding of what's going on. Like it, it, there's just a disconnect and I, I can't articulate it well enough and i i I wish i had a better there's there's just a feeling there that's not quite right yeah i i totally agree with you for the record i'm not i'm not looking for anything i'm not trying to like pick at what you're saying i could describe it i wish i could articulate it i just don't know quite how well i mean a i I mean, I know that there are levels of desperation and in, in people at different points in their lives have different points of desperation. So I don't want to belittle anyone and in, in what could happen in those cases. And absolutely, you know, addiction is its own beast. Right. But I do think that the desperation for cooking sherry and then it being played as like strictly a joke from Wayne's perspective is one of those things that rubs me wrong, especially when he has the good stuff in just a little bit. It's like, OK, I can. You know, if you're a drinker, you drink the good stuff first and drink the bad stuff later, usually because you want to remember the good stuff. (laughs) Like if you're if you're doing that, you would do it in the other order, usually. But sometimes. But but then again, Wayne isn't typical in that he can burn it away. I don't know the right way to do this. The right, right way to describe it. He is he has a need to numb his his feelings. I don't think it's possible for him to come to a like physical dependency because of his gold, but it is a neurological one, which you said, right? (coughs) There's yeah, a neurological drive. So I don't know. There, there's, there's a lot of weight to Wayne that I feel like is half heartedly passed off as, a joke here it's Um, uninvestigated i think is maybe the way that i would say it like it's it's not interrogated like his behavior is not brought into question by anyone else and Um, mercy mercy feels like she's the one that would do it you know yeah or or wax i mean wax does do it but then he even he like brushes it off because he's like hey he's just wayne being wayne yeah you know but and like i i i hope i eat my words here and I hope that this is I would love to see this be a an arc for Wayne, but right now it feels half baked. Okay. 
Yeah. You know, one one of the questions that you always try to that I always try to bring up and interrogate is, you know, I always try to think about these things as what's the author intention with this scene or this moment and you know, giving the author the ground of like they're try- every author is trying to do something cool when they write it. It's not like they're setting out to disappoint you intentionally. No. Right. So if you approach it from the perspective of like what you're trying to do here, I don't know if he's aiming for a complex conversation on alcoholism. He's probably aiming for something that is a funny bit, but he's stepping on a giant grenade, which is this conversation about numbing yourself with alcohol. So using alcohol as the joke, using an addictive substance like that as the joke means that you actually have to interrogate the joke. And that's what we're doing. And we're like, we wish you would interrogate the joke more directly. So I think, I think that's where we're coming from on this. And like I said, I hope I eat my words on that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it, we're not at the end of the thing yet. So, you know, we're trying to critique it in the moment and think about the ways that it applies going forward. With that, Wayne resolves to finally break it off with Renette. And it seems that maybe when he continues, like, it seems that he might be doing that, if that makes sense. Like, he gets this note from Marisy to move on, basically. And he internalizes that. And we see that play out a lot later as this confrontation with Renette, which we'll get into. But it's, again, as he's drinking the next bottle of wine and he's kind of making some, like, 15-year, like, been seeing another woman jokes. And, you know, it's just a phase for 15 years. And there's there's a lot of that. And this is where we're imprinting kind of the thoughts here, which is it feels like it's a deep pain for Wayne in these moments but is it a pain like do we know if it's painful to him like is is this relation does he feel how does he actually feel about Renette because it feels like he lusts after Renette it's not as though it's an actual relationship it's a desire not a you know he equates it later to a god that he's going to worship basically which is very different it is a different relationship it it is a different vibe it's somewhere between the two Mm -hmm. i don't know is this where he actually goes and confronts her no he doesn't do that until chapter four okay gotcha yeah nope but they they run into vendel the chondra um of whom gives them the spook and begins teasing us about new things with the end of the chapter being this giant question about what do you know about the nature of investiture Mercy Gomes. Tell me, Miss Gomes, what do you know about the nature of investiture and identity? And it feels very noir detective in its phrasing, specifically. Yep. Like it gives gives that energy, which is good. I enjoy it. Yeah. But I do too. It's it's a tease into what is going to undoubtedly be the longest part of this discussion, which is chapter three. And I just realized it's gonna be our Halloween episode, effectively. Spooky. Spooky dookie. Spooky dookie. <laughs> <laughs> I challenge all of you in spirit of chapter three to steal someone else's hands <laughs> and wear them for all of Halloween just as a funny joke. Bing and I are going as Bert and Ernie. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so I will steal his hands for you for sure. Perfect. <laughs> they will be the gloves, but they will be hands nonetheless. <laughs> All right, cool. With that, we go into chapter three, as mentioned. Wax heads into the mansion, and there's this great quiet moment that happens outside where he actually stops and sits on the steps. To quote, he was good at hiding his scars. 
He'd been shot almost a dozen times now, a few of those wounds quite bad. Out in the roughs, he'd learned to pick himself up and keep going, no matter what happened. At the same time, it felt like things back then had been simple. Not always easy, but simple. And some scars continue to ache. Seems to get worse with time. Yeah, there, there's been a few different moments throughout this book and this series where he's doing the exact opposite of what he learned to do in the roughs. And I felt like, like I'm remembering, I feel like there was something like that here, but maybe, maybe that's sticking out because there wasn't something like that here. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do where he would like investigate things a little bit more and would, I I do kind of understand the spirit of what you're talking about. I don't think that there was anything here necessarily that he was hearkening to until he actually gets inside. And then I think there is something that he was, he was thinking about, but at this point I don't, that could be it. This is more of like a reflection of like, you know, I mean the loss of Lessie still and like the wedding setback and like just kind of a general defeat that he's feeling in this moment, six months later. Yeah, for sure. And we we've had conversations about his scars here and there, but they'd never been enumerated. Oh, they had they specifically had been through Marisy from the first book mm-hmm. in Alloy of Law, because there were two more than what she had historical record of. But was this even more than that? Or or did he say twelve? I don't think he's being specific about the number of scars. Like I don't think that's the I think he's this is the metaphor of scars, right? Like this is Well, there there's that, but he'd been shot twelve times is a very explicit thing to say. Yeah, and yeah. In Alloy right. of Law, is it twelve and she only had record of ten? Or was it ten that he said and they only had record of eight? And he's been shot twice since. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So it's 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 adding like it's additive, it's yep. cumulative. But yes, that's that's where that number discrepancy comes from. Is totally the additional times that he's been injured between books. But I yeah, think but, his metaphor of scars physical, and like taking this quiet moment. Yeah, the the physical scars don't matter as much as the metaphorical ones. Learning to pick yourself up and keep going is yeah, it's profound. It's heavy. It's it makes wax feel more human than he does throughout most of the previous books. Mm-hmm. see him in yeah. this quiet moment it it does it gives him <clears throat> it's a nice reflection because he seems to be a character that does care about worship right and and faith to some degree right he is a pathian and he does believe in his faith except for now he's experiencing this trial of faith and i think that this is a great example of like there's there's this added layer to this question for me which is were these scars did i even earn these scars like Yes, I received them. Were they like given to me? Were they meant to forge me into something? Like what exactly? What the fuck is happening here? Because he feels manipulated by his God. This quiet moment feels more important than all of the other quiet moments that he has with Harmony previously, though. It feels more Mm -hmm. real, genuine. Yeah. Well, exactly, because it's just him, and it's it is this moment of internal reflection, and and he's not doing it for Harmony. He's doing it for Mm -hmm. himself, and clearly only for himself yeah so he's he's taking the moment yeah so yeah i just i loved that quote for some reason it just it didn't hit me when i listened to it but it did when i went back and read it and it just like sat with me a little bit and you know you you said profound it's it's good it's 
it's definitely a great statement for this character in this moment, and it does make a sit. It almost feels like it's taking place in the rain, the way this scene is happening, but that's because Wax is already wet from, you know, he had a change of clothes, but he still kind of has the residual of what happened. And it's a, it's a very straightforward sentiment, but it has these layers of nuance because of Wax's character and what he's been through in this moment. It can be re- It can be read strictly surface level and it doesn't feel like anything but that means you're not considering everything else that's happening that brandon isn't immediately bringing up in the moment you're supposed to read into the scars you assholes think about it exactly so nothing like calling our listeners assholes right just kidding Mm -hmm. people we are we are uh, searching for names for fans on the internet someone brought up the word hound so words and whiskey word hounds but if you have a better one or a different one let us know yeah because i can't i only say folks so you'll still continue to just say folks you i will that, continue right? to just say folks and in, in <laughs> tweets and everything else but you know what if i had a term i would also sometimes use the term <laughs> so he eventually enters though the mansion itself and finds it occupied by his friends and vendel mentioned previously as the last book and the last book is like this kind of advisor to what was going on through milan and on a, on a couple of different issues is kind of in the background for two chapters anyway he brings out an image projector and this is really interesting as a bit inside of the story not only because the image projector feels like something ripped out <laughs> of of a different time frame considering where we've seen how quickly we've seen technology advance since we've started this book to now but it's interesting to me as well that harmony keeps like leaking bits of technology that he's imagined or seen into the world in its own way through conversations with the conjurer or what have you i don't know there's there's a lot yeah i think what's first of all i love this introduction to new technology on top of the radio mentioned before Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that this exists has an automatic switch of photograph of image and they still can't fucking grasp how it could be become moving pictures is insane to me (laughs) like (laughs) oh it just moves faster yes If he had to go and switch out physically, like manually switch out the photo, it makes it more like more of a mental block for me for like, how can you make this a moving picture? Mm -hmm. But the fact that it's a moving picture, I don't know. I don't know, man. (laughs) Like the mechanisms there. It's it is very (laughs) I totally agree with you. This is very funny to me is this being considered. Like basic or pre and it does feel like a logical evolution right to some degree but it does feel very backwards because this feels like something that's more out of like we've been talking i mentioned it a couple of times that it feels like we get like horror movie vibes in one moment and then we have like noir moments and then we have you know we kind of have all of these different genres but now all of a sudden it feels like we're sitting in like mind hunter or like csi or something and we're getting the briefing on the mission with the guy with the clicker and the projector like that's what the yeah. scene feels like and <laughs> i feel like i've said three different genres tonight and we're on chapter three or four different genres tonight we're on you know chapter three at this point so it's just like wow where, where are we at tonally yeah yeah, for sure. I'm still trying to get a good 
good way to nail down what's going on with the advanced technologies. What you, we can clearly see though, is that harmony feels bad. Like he's stuck in this place where he feels bad that he's coddled these people too much that they haven't gone out and discovered things on their own Mm -hmm. and feels the need to give them the things that they would have discovered on their own. It's like, uh, there, those, those are two combative ideas and he's inhabiting both at the same time. Like feels the need to give them this technology, but wishes that they could like laments that they haven't come up with it. Mm hmm. It, it's, really, it's so interesting because it's it's another one of those like dueling ideologies kind of that you can say that like ruin and preservation have inside of him in these moments, right? Where it's it's a complexity where it's like, do I intervene? Do I not intervene? What what the fuck do I do? Right. Um, and it's it's a nice complex moment, but I think you nailed it on the whole of uh, of where where harm is at. Like, what do I do, bro? And he doesn't have any like bro to ask questions on how to be a god. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and there's also the ever lingering question of where this technology comes from and mm-hmm. who did come up with it and is it on Scadrial? is it on cell is it elsewhere that oh, that he it saw. has yeah. has interactions with has has the ability to communicate with who knows I get it I was confused for a moment there I was like what? Where? Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, where did he glimpse the technology? The now he's... name. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's a fair point. Because that's does. an established name. You should have had the radio by now. Mm-hmm. Like, since since when is he in the market for naming shit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You should. You should have had the beep beep sound wave thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and how does anyone take that and turn it into the radio? You know, like yeah. what. Yeah, there there's some there's some gentle gentle tears on the edges, but it is it is interesting for sure to inhabit this perspective of like, God, I gave you guys everything and you've been figured shit out. <laughs> so I guess I'll give you more. Is the do answer, I give you more? Apparently. No, you fucking spoiled kids. Like, what do I do? <laughs> there's also a lot of whiskey that goes around in this chapter. So cheers. Neither yeah. of us are drinking at this um, point. I've, I've oh, got you've got a little bit. Left. Okay, I, I do appreciate that we this. didn't drink in the previous episode or previous uh, chapter for the sherry yeah i wasn't gonna drink for the sherry he did bust out the wine but you know yeah, like but we'll i will just drink twice it'll be the fine. conversation that we were having at that point it yeah felt we, weird to do that <laughs> disingenuous at best so cheers by the way this bright orange guy mm-hmm. is what if two. Oh, nice i don't have what if two yet sada target nice nice you have to get warbreaker Oh, do I not have? I don't think so. Uh, that's the only one I didn't buy for you. And the I have Oathbringer. Oathbringer. Warbreaker. Warbreaker. Yes. Okay. Do that. <clears throat> yeah. Along with Olive Greenbow. Yeah, you need those soon because I'm meeting up again for notes next week. Yeah. And we'll probably be pulling double duty in December for at least two episodes just to get a head start. Cool. So, yeah. Neat, neat, neat. Okay, so we cheer. It is very, I mean, again, we did just have this whole discussion on Wayne drinking. Everyone's drinking. I, I'll settle on it. <laughs> you know, the context is a little bit different. He's drinking with friends. It feels okay. You know, he's not a, 
not being a lush or anything like that. So a blush in the moment, a, a lush, but a blush. Yes. Yes. Brandon would write him as a blush. Well done. Well done. Okay. So we get a ton of Alamantic theory here, PJ stuff that you would literally ask me about all the way back in well of Ascension. <laughs> when we really started to get details and ferrochemical stuff, we had a brief conversation about this outline offline about like the idea of when you were asking me those questions, I was like, I know that there's an answer. And my answer right now is because them's the rules. Them's the bricks, baby. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want? On why like different bracers could be used by other people and why you couldn't burn other people's, you know, stuff. And that's as we find out over the course of this identity, which is a trait of the, so we have the physical, the mental, the time and the temporal, the temporal and the God, I'll look it up again, but we've got all of these different metals and we know some of them, but we really kind of bring into focus some of the other ones that we didn't have details on and their ferrochemical abilities. So where you at? I mean, I am never, ever going to complain about getting more rules mm-hmm. and more clarity and more concreteness, but it was a great payoff and talking to you after the fact just felt great. To know about that this, you yeah. had been thinking about this moment months ago when I brought it up in Mistborn. Mm-hmm. There was something that clicked for me all the way back in Well of Ascension that you'd brought up that relates to a conversation that happens inside of this book, inside of this chapter, when you had brought up something about like, there's clearly some kind of password. And I was like, oh, it's identity. And then something else clicked for me. And I was like, oh, now I can't talk about that yet because we're still not there. But <laughs> the point is, is that like there was that moment that happened at the end of one of those episodes in Well of Ascension where I went, oh, you unlocked something for me in my brain was then for now. <laughs> and that was something that I hadn't keyed together and figured out. So and I have yeah. accessed all the fancy wikis and I don't think they had brought it up. So there's also a small contribution going backwards. Mm-hmm. That that similarly applies to hemallergy because Sazed or uh, Vin is unable to burn her earring, right? Mm-hmm. And she describes it, and Sazed says that sounds exactly like a ferrochemist trying to use another ferrochemist's metal mines. So so that trait applies to hemallergy as well, knowing that that earring is hemallergical spike yeah Um, so it seems as though there's something there relating to identity and maybe it's the identity of the person killed or something like that yeah yeah something like that or i don't know what gets really complicated with that is bringing that into focus with the understanding of the wounding nature Mm -hmm. of of twin born in this context and how that can work I don't know. Because it's key to your identity, right? Yeah. So that's that's why it works, which is why we get the answer here. Because compounding is compounding works because the ferrochemical mind is keyed to your identity and so it is a part of you and therefore you can consume it that way. However, you cannot consume someone else's because you do not have sufficient identity invested in it. Which is why so would the Vin unidentified be- metal mines are so dangerous. Would right. Vin be unable to, like, if, if Sazed were to shave off pieces of his copper mind, would Vin be unable to burn it? That is the implication, yes. 
Oh, I guess this brings up another question. Even if it's pieces? That is the implication, yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure there is technically words on Brandon out there, but that is the implication of it. So the assumption is no matter how small, it can it would contain a fragment of the power. It physically changes Even the if metal you broke itself. it. Yeah. It alters Whatever it. Quantity. Keys it to your identity, I think, is the term that they use. They do use key. Or they, they use the yeah. term unkeyed. I think. Yes, which Im- I believe that implies. that's because we've previously described metal minds as keyed to identity. So I don't remember the, that term being used, but I believe I believe you. Yeah. But I know unkeyed is used here. Yeah. Super cool. It's mm-hmm. all super fucking cool. I love I love all this. like this is what I want, man. This is what I love. So you just want a science book on random yeah, worlds. I do characters don't matter it's just the, it's the science book of a random world no i i totally understand and that's i i love i do really like the rich history that's painted here the sort of tapestry that we get right where it's like the reason aluminum wasn't really prevalent before but now is is because it went from just being in the the top of the ash mounts to something that was readily available when says dissolved them and remade the world and so that's why aluminum is much more prominent now and will be going into the future and why a lot of these other metals weren't even discovered even though the lord ruler may have known of them known about them and what so we we also get to the problem here wait one second there's something that i wanted to read here ah yes okay so the raw power uh, just a little quote here that i really think is important here to bring up too because it's mentioned but not necessarily given a whole ton of time or weight the raw power of both allomancy and ferrochemy Vendel said, is something we call investiture. This is very important, as in ferrochemy, an individual's investiture is keyed specifically to them, to what we call identity. And then he mentions the metal mines things. After a fashion, changing the image to one of the ferrochemist's tapping strength. Again, changing the image. He's flipping the thing. Why isn't this a movie? You know, it's you're moving the photo, you asshole. The woman's muscles has grown to be several times their normal size as she lifted a horse above her head in the photo. Each man or woman has a spiritual aspect, a piece of themselves that exists in another realm entirely. You might call it your soul. Your investiture is keyed to your soul. And indeed, it might be a part of your soul, much as your own blood is a part of your body. So the term identity was also used in a way that made me feel like it could potentially be altered. Is that the case or is identity static to an individual? That is kind of what's being posed here as a question, right? Okay. Is that could you store your identity then in theory and give access to someone else in your metal mind or give someone access to your spirit in some way, you know? And what does that make you? Could then you could you take on a different identity to use someone else's abilities or metal minds? Like if they stored their spirit, could you swap? Are you is it is that your soul that you're putting into the metal mind? Like what does that look like? They haven't been able to test that necessarily. That seems to be what it potentially could be because they can't find the ferrochemists because they're very rare and the metals are rare and you know it's not something that's easy to test for. You need a full so, ferrochemist in order to do that. Effectively. Yeah, because you would need to. Right, because you need to test a couple of these combinations. And the only way to get there is through breeding over time, you know, as they've been kind of talking about, or seemingly hemolurgy, which brings us to our problem of the story, which is a combination of things that have been going on in the background. One is the set. 
we'll get to the hand theft. But that brings us to a couple of different things, right? Like we've got the set of whom we know have been stealing people. We know hemallergy before has been important and kind of lingering in the background. We know that Marsh wants it to be on the front of our character's mind in the way that he shared the book that they later open up the safe and reveal inside of this very same scene. But that there is a genuine fear that with hemallergy, someone could build a full ferrochemist and full mistborn and then be able to do something with that. I would. <laughs> yeah. Like, of course you'll be able to do something with that. I mean, like you would, you'd be able to use the identity and that you'd be able to do some of these funky, sh- the funky shit, funky shenanigans as you should. <laughs> but who should control that is a question, you know, no in, a, in a very similar way. No, well, right. The, Exactly. So the, this is kind of like a the first to a nuclear arms race, right? Like that's kind of what this is beginning to feel like is, you know, I made the the illusion of this feeling like an FBI scene or like a pre-war scene or whatever, something out of like that era of movie with a guy with a clicker. This feels like we're setting ourselves up for an infiltration mission to go get a thing because we don't want the enemy to get it because they're going to blow us up if they get it. Um, but it's also heavy to know that we have it, too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. So it adds that mutually assured destruction, not mutually assured destruction, but, you know, an imbalance of power potential here as they go with these things. Or we'll, we'll get to the things themselves, but that's it's a very compelling story beat to say that there's a there's a lot in the table here. We don't yeah. want someone to get to it first. That could be bad. There is. So Vendel has Breeze's hands. You've mentioned it before. <laughs> Wax shook them earlier. Very fun. Or Wayne shook them earlier. It's very funny. And yeah, what'd you, what'd you think of the moment? <laughs> I mean, I was waiting for something like this, you know, we've been talking quite a bit about like little bits of individuals being used and like held by Condra, specifically mm-hmm. Wayne and, and Milan, but this, I don't know. I like it. I like that. It's Wax's ancestor and, a very important figure within the the world at the at the time. I don't know. I just thought it was fun. Kind of I funny. It totally is fun. Creepy. Yeah. I definitely agree with you. I think it's great. I think it's creepy. I think it's funny. It's wonderful. Okay. So we get to some crazy shit here that I think is going to take a while for us to talk about. Uh, all right. So... Getting back to it, Vendel names a bunch of old relics. One, a couple of these we kind of know are aware of. We've got the Bands of Mourning. We have the Lady Mistborn's Knives, of which we can definitely understand. Bands of Mourning, we understand to be the Lord Ruler's Bracers. The Lance of the Fountains, which is maybe more of a question. Used by Kelsier to try to kill think, the Lord Ruler? Yeah, I think it's the other way around. I think it's the Lances that or, the Lord yeah, Ruler kills. Yeah. But yes, effectively. Okay. So the Lance of the Fountains, as well as the four people of whom held the power of Ascension. Rashik, the Survivor, the Ascendant Warrior, and Harmon. So there's a lot here in terms of like a history gap-filling question mark. And you have to know, I can't answer some of these, but like throw all the shit at the wall. I mean, we know three of them. Like we, There's no way Rashik didn't. We know that contextually to be true. Mm-hmm. And we've experienced the other two. So that all that leaves is is the survivor, Kelsier, which we never knew to hold the power, but 
I don't see a reason why that doesn't make sense in that I, I feel like we've had a conversation about Kelsier not being a natural Mistborn to begin with. We I'm have never sure had a conversation about, about him not being a natural Mistborn. Yeah, we have. No. If we did, I did not agree with you. All right. Well, I feel like <laughs> I've made speculation on this before. Okay. I think you did, PJ, and I think the answer was he's a savant on some things. Like, that was kind of the answer at no, the time. No, 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 no. Because I, I just remember there were some oddities that I pointed. I know I pointed them out. I know I did. Because I've, for a long time, haven't felt like Kelsier was a natural Mistborn. And I feel like now, with this reveal... That he gave himself Mistborn abilities. Like he gave to Spook. This makes more sense with the conversation between him and and Bazid after the fact. Even if it's not a like a direct one-on-one conversation, but it could be a lost in the ages historical I know this to be true conversation because this person held the power as well and we're like extraordinarily linked together. Doesn't that imply an order? An order? Yeah, like an like an order of who held the power, to your point of like if if Harmony is reacting and saying those things, doesn't that imply that he held it before? That Kelsier held it before Harmony? Yes. Yes. Okay. That I mean that would imply that, yes. Yeah, I'm just I'm just making sure I'm drawing clarifications. I feel like a fucking conspiracy theorist. <laughs> Well, you kind of have to be at this point, so I, I understand. The the other part about this that is very tricky, right, is that there have been some mentions, just little tiny ones, in the previous couple of books that I haven't pointed my finger to about this same shit, that it's like, hmm. So is it just nice. me, like, picking up on it and not actually bringing up No, 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 no. So that you don't have a concrete, you don't have like a fully concrete answer or anything crazy like that. But it, it specifically has said that the survivor held the power before Sazed did at some point. That it said. That you may have missed. But that's it. I forgot what we were talking about. So about the survivor. So we've got the Bands of Mourning, which we know to be Lord Ruler's bands. Lady Mistborn's knives, we know those things. Sharp, sharp knives. That's the sharp, sharp. We've Fassy ones. Talked about. And then, yeah, so we've got Rashik. We've got the survivor holding the power of ascension. Mm-hmm. My immediate go-to was, oh, he found a well and gave himself Mistborn abilities. But we know specifically I know, that I the know. well. That's, that's, then, that's then, where okay, my brain to, went. To answer, to answer your question, went. to answer your question, why isn't Ellen on this list then? Because he did get oh, wait, a nugget. Wait, wait, wait. No, he didn't. Ellen got his powers from a nugget, not from a, but not from the well. That's a nugget. That's different. I'm saying that this, this is where my brain went. Was that he found a well and then. Grat, like, but there's only the one power, well. and in like while he was holding the power of preservation, gave himself mistborn abilities. But that's there's what only one well of ascension. I like that's don't the thing. Know that? <laughs> I don't know that for sure, man. I'm just telling we, you where my brain's at in trying to like make sense of this sentence. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. All right. I don't All like. Right. <laughs> 
I'm trying to so rationalize the, it. The closest, the closest excuse that you can come up with is there are multiple wells. We know there's multiple pools that are identical or described identically. Uh huh. They don't exist on the same planet, but they do exist. Mm-hmm. Could that be like a thread to pull on? I I don't. For the record, I don't think it's unreasonable. I don't think the sweater you're unraveling, but I wanted to make sure because it felt like you were going in a very different direction with the wells theory with the pits. And I was like, that's a little chaotic and I should not. (laughs) That's a little too chaotic because I do. I do occasionally get emails of like, why didn't you rein that one in? And it's like this one. It's like maybe I should rein it in a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So. I, I think I think that you are on the right question, which is you are on the right question. Okay. <laughs> I, I, question? I literally don't feel I don't feel comfortable reiterating your thoughts, actually, because I'm terrified of filling in a gap or two. Okay, like that's fine. You know what I mean? So for the sake of clarity on the tape on this one, as I had mentioned, I knew that this was going to be the longest individual question of the entire week in section. <sighs> I was I was right. I knew that it was going to happen. Make your best present your best set of assumptions set it does not have to be one idealized answer we're not going to hold it against you as a prediction or anything crazy like that just i mean i might in the end hold it against you as a prediction if it's truly insane you're but it doesn't gonna. need to be you're gone it doesn't i'm gonna it drink for it be, or you're gonna drink for it this is <laughs> it doesn't need to be foolproof you can have multiple. Like I'm giving I'm giving you carte blanche at the moment for guessing this shit. So theory number one that we can definitely espouse at the very least and put on the board was there's something fucked about Kelsier's Mistbornhood. I'm giving you all the thumbs down, but I'm we'll put it on the board. <laughs> now we need the other uh, theories. Specifically, this idea of holding the power of preservation is tied to tied to hoid and the puddle jumpers the puddle jumpers i don't know what else to call it i think that's actually really reasonable <laughs> given what you know that'll do okay any cool. that's not right other misborn abilities other there all right for the crowded home here's how we're summing it up this is potentially tied to hoid and the puddle jumpers or it has something to do with Kelsier's circumstances of actually becoming a Mistborn and snapping. Or something fucky about the wells. And, and multiple wells, notably. Multiple wells. Yeah. One on this planet, but that we know of. Okay. All right. There we go. There we um, go. We have all of these artifacts, right? We've spent a lot of time talking about the last thing. I knew we were going to talk about the last thing. We know about the artifacts. Do you have any thoughts on the artifacts and what do you think that there's anything special to them beyond the bands of mourning of which we have this belief that there's potentially something special because they are the the lord rulers old ones and obviously other people are chasing after them because of relures condition that we'll talk about in a moment but uh, what do you what do you think do you have any other thoughts about the lance of the fountains or any misprints i mean i i believe the lance is a hemallergic spike as well killing kelsier and potentially stealing something from him i think that's possible and it does it does give a lot of power to the lance right Mm -hmm. but and hemallergy is so precise as we know and understand it right and it did 
feel like a random killing to like pull the spear out and then stab him, but maybe it was more precise than that. We're dealing with a god, more or less. Like not not technically, but almost. No, no, no. Yeah, I know. You're <laughs> like, I, it's I hard. To, it's hard to write yeah. anything off there. Well, exactly. That's why I was trying not. I was just like, it seems, yeah. you know, it's meant to be precise. It's kind of it's described as an art, but no. Lady Mistborn's knives are they her glass knives? I would assume so they, because that, not really those described. are the only ones that she had. And she's yeah. not really described. She, she doesn't pretty have... frequently uses. She has knives all the time. She throws them. She uses them. Yeah, but not... she uses them a lot against inquisitors. Yeah, that's true. They in the but, final but scene they... they get broken a couple of times. She has like six sets and she breaks so many of them. Right. That's the thing is that yeah. there's not a single set of knives. Right. Yes. That are like attributed to hers. Like there's no ownership to them and no, no like identity. There's no identity that's like poured into her weaponry. Well, and they're not metal. That's the other thing to consider in general, right? Like right. these other couple of things we're describing as metal relics, right? But the knives, A, in the notes here, I capitalized the K. They're not capitalized. So it's just referring to a bunch of knives. Not that that necessarily makes a massive difference. That's just a plurality of knives. But on top of that, what about them would store anything special? Glass is not something that we know to be special in any concept. Yeah. This is This is about metal damn it but religion is fickle and they oh yeah worship like makes sense bones and and shards of wood that may or may not be part of a cross all the time yeah i'm not i'm not discounting <laughs> the keeping of the relics i'm just saying the other two seem to have important context you know or like not they, necessarily they have the potential context. to be important yes Yes, that's exactly that's exactly what I was going for. But um, the knives feel like the most relevant thing on the list outside of some superficial importance to religions and history. Yeah, I'm sure I'll eat those words. I mean, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? As mentioned, we find out about the quest itself, which Relure was sent to go and track down the bands or the whispers of the bands to try to prevent the power from finding that home. It seemed like it was a logical path so that they didn't end up on a new set of wrists we he goes to new Saren and to find that and our folks are also going to be sent to new Saren to go find his spike to repair that and hopefully bring relure back so that they can have a conversation about what exactly happened how he got his spike removed and the twist of course is the final slide that is remembered here which is that telson lives as well that Wax's sister is alive and well and seemingly maybe in captivity, being that she is being walked away by guards. So my first reading of this, and I guess up until like now, really, Mm -hmm. my understanding of this was that these were photos from long ago. And this was a reveal that Wax's sister was in a chondra. No, no, these are recent. Okay. I misunderstood this. Not only that, but we do know context from Alloy of Law that Telson is alive. This is a location and a lead on her. I did misspeak that a little bit. The epilogue of Alloy of Law, Edward explains that she's alive and then reiterates it in Shadows of Self. And here, it's now that there's a lead on her location to begin with. Gotcha. I totally, totally pulled this as a what the fuck's happening here. How is she 
still there and it's like 80 years ago or something and looks identical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, 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 no. This is a recent picture. This technology is relatively new too. So I mean, due to them. Y- yes. I mean, you know, which you is, know, you know what I mean? Like, you know where I'm coming from on that? Yeah. They describe the dress and the garb too though. So there, there are signs that this would be relative. It's, it's all good though. That's fine. That makes sense. Yeah. I just completely misunderstood it. <laughs> it's it's important to bring up that I too had forgotten that until right when I said it that I was like, wait, no, no, no. I'm pretty sure that Telson was mentioned being alive before this. Um, and then I looked it up and immediately yeah, it's, found it. It's revealed by his Ed uncle. Warren. Yeah, yeah. Both times. Yep. In the in the cart or in the in the train car? Both times he's sitting down having a drink, being fancy as fuck. Well, that's that just who he Ed is. Warren as a mood. <laughs> All right, cool. With that, we go on to our final chapter of the week, chapter four. So Wax settles that he's going to go and Stairs is going to go with him. Honestly, I think this is kind of a great moment where they get to take off together on an adventure and she gets to see him in real action, kind of up close and personal as they adventure out to what's effectively an area of the roughs. It's excellent that their tickets and all of their provisions are provided for. This almost feels like a Holmes, get it underway, we've got your tickets for you sort of adventure. I've mentioned the Wild West movie a couple of times. I actually cannot get that image out of my mind. This reminds me, this entire thing reminds me of all of the setup of the Wild West movie with Will Smith. And now I'm going to need you to watch it within the next week so we can talk about it because... It has just hit me like a flash in the pan now that all of this feels like all of the acts of the first part of that movie, the more that I think <laughs> about it. And it is now fucking me up. <laughs> so, but I, I, I like the moment that they get to share and that it's like, of course, I'm going to come with you. And I would love to experience this adventure. And I you know, know your hobbies a little bit and these kind of experiences. It does feel like that fondness is growing more mm-hmm. and more. Yeah. Yeah. It, it there's there's some I not in a bad way, but there's some forced relationship time to it. PJ, in the industry, they call this forced proximity. There you go. There's a term. There's a term for it. <laughs> there's a whole genre, man. <laughs> subgenre, whatever you want to call it. But yes, yes, this is definitely you're you're right. This is forced proximity to some degree. I'm I'm just glad I got the term forced you basically nailed it that's why i was like forced relationship time i was like yeah that's you know uh, well actually you don't know because you don't know fucking hunger games i can't even use like really basic touchstones in culture <laughs> for you sometimes like for people of our age which fucks me up every once in a while okay <laughs> hunger games is a forced proximity love story in its own right but we're gonna set that down i do enjoy the little comedic bit that happens when you know they're told that they only have four hours and stairs kind of just shouts i need to make a list (laughs) call everyone up to like get everything packed real quick it's it's a great little funny moment yeah it is that happens inside of this she i mean it's true like it's true to her it's exactly Mm -hmm. what she would have done i it's funny it's a funny moment Mm -hmm. yeah it definitely is it's it's good. It's exactly where it needs to be. 
There is a fun interaction here as well where Vendel asks if he can have Wayne's bones when he's done with them, which is very great because this is literally something that you've talked about. It's very interesting that this man is a collector of bones. You know, he talks about the the head that he's wearing earlier on from a metal vendor in her toe from the previous generation. It's very rare and vintage, almost like he's a collector of fine bones like fine art or, you know, fine spirits. And what an eccentric one, Mr. Cringe. I mean. Man, it's what I would do. If you were it's a What would you do? If you had the ability to wear bones, you're going to collect the coolest fucking bones. You'd get the good ones, yeah. You'd get the good ones. You'd get mm-hmm. the ones that you can brag about. Mm-hmm. I'd have a like a saltwater crocodile just because. Because they went <laughs> extinct 400 years ago. And like, who the fuck has a saltwater crocodile vertebrae? That's fucking weird. Yeah. Look at this shit. <laughs> also, he collects all these bones. Where does he keep the ones he's not wearing? Probably at his house. <laughs> I mean, a bone drawer. PJ. He's got a bone drawer. Does he have a, a drawer like a junk drawer? Does he have a bucket like a big old like tub, a big tub of bones? Maybe more of a sack or satchel. I hope it's a sack or sack. Are, are they are they in shelves and drawers and cupboards? I want to know his organizational system for his eccentrically collected, curated bones. Please, I'm getting I'm getting as you're describing this. I'm thinking about like Nightmare at the Museum and similar things like that. Like that's where my brain goes. Like absolute wall to wall, beautiful displays full full portraits like if he got wayne's bones he would get a makeup of wax as like a wax statue of course naturally it'd be a funny joke too that he would tell all the time (laughs) and then he would get copies of the books and stories and histories that were written about him and put them in a shelf right next to him display prominently with a page open there and so that you could approach it and read it and reflect on that story (laughs) like that's how i imagine vendel so so in that scenario Mm-hmm. Are the bones loose or are they no, I think displayed as a skeleton? As a skeleton. Yeah, entirely as a skeleton, like made up into scenes, right? Which is especially interesting when you consider the fact that he has just the hands of Breeze. <laughs> so in Breeze's display, there's just some some bones and maybe some fancy gloves that he wore or something like that. Well, some aged gloves. He was given the hands specifically, though. Mm-hmm. Because Breeze didn't yeah. give him all his bones. Breeze gave him his hands. So, oh, man. That's that's what I'm saying. So, like, specifically, if he's just given the hands and you're just displaying those, you're, you're putting them in, a, like, a glass case. And you're maybe putting them in some, I think you'd put them in, some aged gloves that are from the time period that Breeze would have worn or could have been imagined wearing. And because they're well-worn, you might have your fingers and your phalanges poking out the other side. Okay. <laughs> so the bone collection is very interesting. I think there's some implications though. there that I'm attributing to Breeze that shouldn't be. Perhaps. <laughs> I just, it's a glove. You know, and I'm just, I'm just saying this as a reflection on like, do you put it in a glove to like display it and, you know, wear give him like the purple gloves that he probably wore at the time and 
you know, it's it's all talking pieces because we know Vendel is a hoity-toity chondra. And so when he invites people over, he's very much a he's definitely a who are you wearing person, but he's not asking about a designer <laughs> unless it is literally the parts of the designer. <laughs> I was going to make fun of you for hoity-toity immortal, but that's so much better. <laughs> the who are you, I as I was coming up with it, I laughed without laughing out loud. PJ saw it and was like, what the fuck are you going to say? And then he freaked out when it was actually good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a little background for everyone there. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we move on from there to kind of the end of this, which I, I think we can sum up pretty quickly wayne goes on a quest and he needs to get this accomplished before he takes off the quest as we know by the end of this is to get to renette but he's on a very chaotic quest right like don quixote in case you don't know chaotic but he's he's on a this sort of playful adventure that isn't necessarily banal but kind of feels like it is and it's quite a bit of a jaunt definitely banal but he encounters a boatman playing himself playing and he, he like plays the boatman against himself to get to a specific location to get the deal and the ride that he wants to where he wants to go he pins it on wax you know in order to get the power that he needs in this situation he then transitions into playing the part of a street merchant to sell potatoes he manages to con a man out of his wallet with his fair trade of a flower attached with money that he mishandled the moment before from the man so he gives the man the proper change but he believes that he's buying it off of him so really he shorted him ten dollars and that that was but he thinks the flower is fair it was very it was very clearly written which is impressive for a very confusing scene intentionally confusing but it's a perfect seeing it from wayne's perspective makes us able to comprehend it yeah it was it was a wonderful sleight of hand in text it totally made sense it definitely worked and that's that's something hard the only thing in this entire sequence that is confusing to me i should i want to make mention of is the conversion the changeover that happens from the boat to the street vendor because it happens in like two lines and that was i I got confused and had to back up like three times same when i was listening but reading it i was okay interaction most of the time Mm mm-hmm that took a bit. It was it was a quick quick transition, but yeah, that's that's a great moment. And then there's kind of the the final moment that happens, or the final two beats of this that happen, which is with the lady on the street who's hungry and the meat buns. He manages to go in, finagles that, of course, and then we move on from that scene and trade onto the cop giving parking tickets. And man, Wayne just thinks that shit is evil. And you know what? I agree with them. Yes. He runs. And the woman follows up on her side of the deal and throws one of the meat pies at, or does he throw the meat pie? I forget. I can't. I think she throws it when he's chasing already. So like he gets distracted, but continues and is behind. So yeah, just a a great sequence of moments here that happens. Uh, I I like your description of chaotic as far as this quest mm -hmm. goes, because it is nonsensical and, grand but only to the only from the perspective of the perceiver and right just yeah great it, great call it, i had such a hard time describing it and i'm glad that i landed on chaotic because there is part of me that thinks that this is really facile like this is a very almost it's a convenient set of things that happen exactly perfectly 
so much so that it feels absolutely unreal. And that's why I landed the the way that it felt unreal in my head is where I went chaotic, chaotic, and it just felt so wrong. Also, it's the word is fucked up. Let the record show the pronunciation of the word that we are saying is fucked up in English. It is quixotic. Quixotic is how you say it. However, Spanish, it's Quixote, right? So you'd think chaotic because that would be the combination of the two languages in theory, which is what it's based on in the original context. But it's supposed to be quixotic, which is fucked. Is that actually how, is that a real word? It is a real word. Yeah. Is it technically pronounced quixotic? Yeah. That's fucked. I don't like it. Yeah, I know, which is, I'm going to keep saying it however the fuck I decide in the moment. So just like Don Quixote would want, you know, Quixote. He'd want you to pronounce it differently every Quixote, time. Quixote, I think. Quixote. Uh, <laughs> exactly. I think yeah. that's how he would pronounce his own name. You're probably right. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it, it's it's a great it's a great series of beats, but it is also sometimes in moments just that it's a series of beats, and it does feel unreal and almost fableish, which is cool. Like, I I think it plays well and I don't have any issues with it. Like we said, the sleight of hand that happens is some of the best shit. It's one of the best sleight of hands I've seen in text, but Mm -hmm. cleanest, I should say. Yeah. But yeah. So he he finally, did you have anything else in that sequence? No, I don't think so. Okay. He finally arrives in the scene that he's been, you know, kind of chasing through, which has been this offering to his God, which we know to be this notebook. He borrows a pen real quickly to write down in the notebook. I forgive the thank you. I, and I'm sorry. It's kind of an apo- a apology. Goodbye. A goodbye. Yeah, there's there's like a lot of different contexts to the note that he actually writes down on this. But he calls his God notebook. <laughs> yeah, right. And it's like that's that's where like fast. also doesn't work because he obviously kind of fucked up. It didn't all go perfectly according to plan. But he calls her a jealous God. And, you know, there's there's a lot of interesting context from Wayne's perspective and it, it's one that pays off in a semi-sweet goodbye moment i wouldn't our, our payoff is worth every beat here i think again this beat more than any of the other ones in any of the other books is played for more laugh than it should have been because it does have it it has a joke too far and we talk about this a lot in our D show but we often go one or two jokes too far and they always end up being cut a hundred percent of the time this feels like he was pushing it and if he had actually settled the way that he says that he he was it feels like he wouldn't have pulled the joke in this moment later in other interactions with Annette, renette down the line i can see him like joking back towards this and like making yeah similar context jokes that feels like it fits with the character but in this sincere moment that is supposed to be him moving on he makes a threesome joke at the end and then asks to forget that and it's like okay asking for forgiveness good but was it was it a necessary beat it fits with yeah. character but i don't know i don't know if it really does though in the moment it just felt off out of place even for what we know wayne to be i don't know yeah, I think if I compare he's, this to, sorry, he, he's so self-aware mm-hmm. of his infatuation with Renette, and and at this moment, the unrealistic nature of that infatuation, right? That this departure from that self-awareness just feels weird. Yeah, I I definitely agree with you, and that's why. 
I think I have the most trouble with this is because if I draw comparisons between the scene with the child of the father that he killed, right, the the daughter, to this, in this moment, they're on different scales, right? But they should still have, they have approachable meaning for Wayne in different ways. These are different relationships that he has and maintains inside of his life. This is one that he's moving on from. It's not to say that you can't move on with humor. I think he nailed some of the humor, but he does... He it's like he kicks the door back open in the last minute when he was trying to keep it shut and be very clear about his expectation. Like, you know, it, it just feels like a it's good because characters should be imperfect. It shouldn't be perfect necessarily. But this rubbed me a little bit wrong, just a little yeah. bit, like not a ton, but it, it was a little bit of a it doesn't it's not enough to overcome the sweetness of the moment in the way that I enjoy the rest of the scene, which is the payoff here of him finally moving on and, you know, being on top of the train and kind of staring up at the sky, being able to move forward, you know, but it does strike me still. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I mentioned this, of course, there's the final con with the wallet and its value and he manages to throw it into the drain and then tell the guy that he can keep it if he drives him to where he needs to go. And, you know, it's a, it's a great final con that's been set up this whole time to, you know, give him something as a trade again, which is lovely. He's humming the last breath this whole time as well. We get kind of a tease at this at the very beginning of the chapter, which I think is lovely. And then throughout and Renette, as he's walking away, asks, you know, what are you humming? And he says, the last breath, the first song that I heard when I saw you, I believe is what he says. When, when we met. When we met. Yeah. And he's humming it all the way to the end. He gets on top of the train and it's it's just a, it's a lovely scene and that final line of this chapter i really adore it's really easy but it's eyes forward back turned towards the past and i i mean it's it's just great it's a great great way to end apart it's a very strong conclusion for wayne in burying that relationship but still even though it wasn't really a relationship to begin with that's the other fucked part about this whole thing is it's like this is a worship ship this is but it's good that he moved on also that last line is applicable to almost every character and particularly Wayne. Well, obviously Wayne, but particularly wax on top of Wayne. Mm-hmm. Like it's pretty universal. And I think that's why it makes such a great, powerful end to a part, despite mm-hmm. it being unique to a like, a single character's perspective. Yeah, exactly. Right. So it's not only it is Steris's ability to turn away from all of the failures of the marriage and be like, well, the marriage isn't necessarily about the ceremony. It's about, you know, we'll eventually get the ceremony or whatever, but it's about us as a pair, which she does in wanting to go on this adventure. And it's about, you know, wax facing forward and moving on from Lessie and kind of the pain of the past and the scars that he has that we talked about in the last section for Wayne. He's got some things that he still is atoning for in the past, but at the same time, he's able to move on and be open to new things and is, has at the very least acknowledged a serious problem in his (laughs) worship and like, just bad behavior towards Renette. I don't, I don't know. There are other ways to put it. I'm sure there are more eloquent ways to say it, but this is a poor behavior. Any That's other it. thoughts? No, I think 
I think we spent four hours outlining our thoughts today. Well, I know, but I mean, we spent, did we spend three and a half? Was it four? It was closer to four. (laughs) Cool. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good. So we don't have any answers here yet for any of the predictions. So we just hold on those. Um, Yeah. Hold on those. We're adding the one, of course, about the, the well and the weapons and kind of things related there that we talked about for 45 minutes. It feels like if we don't pay that off in some degree, we haven't earned people's time. It's probably not going to be that long when it gets to the cut because we'll, we'll, we typically we'll sim- cut simplify things. But yeah. yeah. So with that, next week, we are reading Bands of Mourning at chapter 5 through chapter 12. Again, Bands of Mourning, chapter 5 through chapter 12. PJ, I don't mean to be uh, pages. Don't mean to be the bringer of bad news here. This They're is all kind of long ones <laughs> for for this book. This book's a little bit longer week to week because I re- we really wanted to squeeze it in before the Lost Metal release. So, and uh, like it, and then it, I realized that we should do Secret perfectly. History. It works it out, out just about perfectly, perfectly, because it gives me about two weeks to digest the finale and then week and a half maybe and then to roll into it after that so right it's gonna be perfect all right so that's where we'll leave you for this week thank you as ever to our producers tim and andrew for helping us keep our shows lights on also you can check out our show notes you can find our schedule our patreon our previous episodes our websites our socials all in one convenient location Yes, you absolutely can. As PJ mentioned, if you want to find us specifically, if you can't, if you don't want to follow the silly links tab on the website, you can go to Words Whiskey Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Reddit. Words and Whiskey. You can send us an email at Words and Whiskey Show at gmail.com. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash words and whiskey. Wow. I only had the one cocktail and I just cannot talk at the end of the night. Beyond that, you can find our t-shirts at Tee Public. Follow the link as mentioned previously by PJ. Leave us a review if you can, as well as any of the other podcasts that you listen to. Not if you can. Fuck you. Leave us a review. And, and check out some of the other shows on the network right now. We're, we are in a process of rolling out more and more things that are going to be coming out in the future. We have a new project on the horizon that neither of us are necessarily a full-time part of, which will be fun and exciting because it's it'll be i mean obviously howlerpot as well but in addition it'll be like kind of a first new foray into production for us so it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun time very excited when you're going through those those reviews remember while you're filling that out that if you don't give us five stars aaron (laughs) will haunt you she will find you and she will mutilate you just in your dreams, but it'll feel real. <laughs> Terrifying. Thank you so much for your support. <laughs> it really does mean the world to us. And I cannot wait to come back next week. For next week. See ya.